what the fuck is going on? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. I know a lot of people are like, well, why do people do this? Why, why are they involved in this fucking fantasy sports bullshit? This is why. Money. Did you know that DraftKings.com, ready for this, will give out hundreds of millions of of dollars in prizes this season. Just this baseball season. You can win a part of $300 million in prizes being awarded. That's fucking crazy. They're giving away a billion dollars in cash this year. That's real money. They give away instant cash, instant gratification, and daily fantasy means no season-long commitments. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory? when you can get huge cash every day. At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season starts every time you play. You select two pitchers, eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to enormous cash. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one fucking day just playing daily fantasy baseball. It's not bullshit. Go. Check it out right now. Hurry to DraftKings.com. Enter the promo code ROGAN to play for free. You could win part of, again, $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. It's fucking insane how much money is involved in this. Use the promo code ROGAN for free entry now at DraftKings.com. Can't say enough good things about DraftKings. DraftKings.com, you freaks. DraftKings.com. We're also brought to you by Blue Apron. Ah, Blue Apron. I love this fucking company. And what Blue Apron does is they send you all of the ingredients in the correct portions for fresh meals that you can make at your house. Really easy to do with step-by-step instructions with photographs showing you each step of the way. And for less than $10 a meal, you could be on your way to being a gourmet motherfucking chef. No trips to the grocery store, no waste from unused ingredients. Plus, you will learn to cook with specialty ingredients that are normally really hard to find. Blue Apron sends you the fresh ingredients perfectly proportioned, again, with step-by-step photograph instructions. It's perfect for date night, cooking with friends, and they even offer family plans with kid-friendly ingredients so the whole family can eat well and have fun preparing the meals together. Each, Each balanced meal is between 500 and 700 calories per serving. But they're very delicious. You would never guess they're so low in, in calories. Let me check you out or let me show you uh, some of these uh, different meals. Um, brown butter spatzel, S-P-A-E-T-Z-L-E with celery root, apple and horseradish. This is from the vegetarian options. Potato and leek chowder with cheddar cheese baguette. Um, there are vegetarian options and there are also regular options for the, the meat eaters amongst us, like um, uh, chicken thighs with coconut plantain mash and collard greens, almond custard, excuse me, almond crusted cod with, boy, I don't even know how to say this, blistered blistered sugar snap pea salad. The point being, Lo- Loatian larb guy with sticky rice, peanuts, and mint. My, my, all this stuff, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's the point. These are exotic dishes. These are not like, like this is how you make mashed potatoes. 
like really exotic, cool stuff. Um, Lentil-crusted salmon with yogurt spinach dal, dried apricot chutney. Hear the fuck I'm talking about, man? Talking about cool shit. Steak with green peppercorn sauce and roasted fingerling potatoes. Very delicious options. I really think you'll enjoy it. I I have it. I cook with it all the time. And uh, I'm a big fan of of what they're doing here. Uh, Natural ingredients, natural locally sourced ingredients. They're coming to you fresh. And uh, they work with your schedule and dietary preferences. Blue Aprons experts, they source only the best seasonal ingredients for incredible meals. And um, check it out. Um, Check out this week's menu and you get your first two meals for free by going to blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. That's blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. My treat, you get two meals on me. When you go to blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. And we're also brought to you each and every week by Onnit.com. Onnit is a company that I am a big part of. Um, I'm one of the owners in it. And I uh, I have a huge commitment to it, not just uh, financially, but in what we're trying to do with Onnit. What Onnit is, is a total human optimization website with the CEO, Aubrey Marcus and myself uh, have tried to accomplish with Onnit is to become a one-stop shop for inspiration uh, in terms of the Onnit Academy. If you click on the Onnit Academy link, we have, um, there's a segment of it called Mindset. And the Mindset segment is all just inspirational and or motivational uh, articles, videos. Uh, there's workouts, diet plans. Um, and of course, we sell the actual physical equipment you need to get your shit together, including strength and conditioning equipment like kettlebells, uh, then the artistic kettlebells like our primal bells, which are all kettlebells that are uh, functioned uh, or, or functional rather uh, functional, but yet artistic kettlebells that are the great apes, uh, gorillas, orangutans, chimps and howler monkeys, all in various sizes from 72 down to 18 pounds. Um, and they're 3D balanced. They look awesome. They will last forever. They're made out of cast iron. They'll be here long after you're gone. You could literally hand them down from generation to generation. They're cool as fuck. They're awesome to work out with, and they're available exclusively at Onnit, along with a host of other things, including our flagship supplement, which is Alpha Brain, something that I take before every podcast. I take it before I do stand-up. I take it before I do commentary for the UFC. It is 100% not snake oil. You know, people say, oh, fucking, what are you selling, snake oil? What, what is it? snake oil is, for those who don't know, is back in the old West days, guys would, uh, they would sell these magical elixirs, and they would call them snake oil. And, you know, what it was is just bullshit. It was placebo effect. Alpha Brain has been tested in not one, but two double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that we funded. They were very expensive. They're all done by an independent third party, the Boston Institute for Memory. And um, what what they show is um, there's there's not one, but two different studies that we did. And what they show is improvements in memory, improvements in reaction time, improvements in function, nootropics. And uh, that's what that's what Alpha Brain is. Nootrophics are nutrients that are designed to directly target vital areas of neurotransmission. 
what that means is that they're building blocks for human neurotransmitters. Um, all of it is explained. If you're interested in it, on, interested in it at onnit.com, go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T, click on the Alpha Brain logo, and then go to the Research tab. The Research tab is very in-depth with... Um, with references to scientific studies, including the, the two studies that we funded. Uh, you can check them out. You can read into it. And all of our supplements have a 100% money-back guarantee. You don't have to return the supplement. Just say you didn't like it. It's not good for you, whatever. You get your money back. You can only do it once. Our idea is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you the best things possible. We're trying to establish a relationship with you where you know that everything you're going to get from us is going to be 100% of the best quality that's available. We're trying to find the best hemp protein powders. We're trying to find the best kettlebells, the best strength and conditioning equipment. Awesome stuff. Onnit.com, O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word ROGAN and you will save 10% off any and all supplements, you motherfuckers. All right? Much love, my friends. This uh, episode today is uh, with my friend Joe Schilling. Joe Schilling is one of the best kickboxers on the planet Earth. He's uh, a very cool and interesting and intelligent young man. Uh, he also fights in MMA. He's uh, fighting for uh, Bellator and also for Glory, which is uh, the premier kickboxing organization in the world that is on Spike TV on uh, various Friday nights, including this Friday night. Today is um, the 7th of May, and tomorrow, the 8th, there's an event that's going on in San Diego. You could catch it on Spike TV. He won't be competing in that event, but uh, he'll be fighting for uh, Bellator soon in uh, in upcoming in June, and we go into that and many more things. He's just a cool motherfucker. I love talking to the guy, and um, very humble and honest, and without a doubt, one of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet Earth today. So without any further ado, please welcome my friend, Mr. Joe Schilling. Joe Rogan Podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tomorrow, live on Spike TV, is Glory World Series. With me, my man, Joe Schilling, last minute edition. I want to talk to you about some shit, dude. Let's talk. Because I was working out in my gym yesterday. Dying, okay? All I'm doing is hitting pads. No one's hitting me back. I'm fucking exhausted. And what I like to do when I'm when I'm working out is I like to put fights on for motivation. Mm. And I'm watching you and uh you're you're fighting in the, the last man standing tournament. You gotta fight three times this mm. this night. You're you're fighting you you're going four fucking rounds. Exhausting, ridiculous fight. Mm. And then I remember this shit. <laughs> Oh, shit. Oops. We just dropped Elvis. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. I remember this shit. Ryan this Loco is, took that. <laughs> Ryan Loco <laughs> sent me this picture. What the fuck, dude? How are you able to have that kind of cardio? I mean, you fought three times that night. Four four rounds your first fight before you uh, you uh, won by knockout. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're smoking cigarettes. Yeah. How's that possible? Oh, Joe. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about this last time. Fucking first five minutes of the show. Here we go. But it's just I couldn't believe it. I, I really have a hard time believing it. Like I was, I was watching the fights. So I was like, "How the fuck does this guy have this kind of energy?" Uh, well, to be honest, I was exhausted in the third round when uh, I went back to my corner. I looked at my coach and I'm like, "You know," he's like, "I think you have to go another round." And I'm like, "Fuck!" I did not want to go another round. I was exhausted. Um, you know, I just wanted to win, and that was that's kind of what I did. Well, it was just a ridiculous fight, too. Yeah, I mean. 
it was the whole tournament was ridiculous. It's crazy to make someone fight three times in a night, but mm-hmm. that that first fight was just so fucking back and forth and wild and crazy and and for you to go that hard while you smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Like I said, I can't. Uh, I can't justify it. I'm really. I'm about ready to quit. Uh, my last fight, my cardio was. You know, I've done kickboxing for so long where. You, you know, I get tired like anybody else, but um, for whatever reason, it's never really bothered me that much. And in the last fight, he was holding me a lot, and just the cardio system is completely different. And it's, uh, yeah, it's coming to an end. I'm getting really sick of smoking. I'm getting really sick of explaining, <laughs> having this conversation, Joe. I think <laughs> Joe's the reason. When I quit, uh, this will be the reason. Well, good. Well, yeah. I, w- I wanted to talk about these stupid vaporizing things, but Simon Marcus, the guy you're fighting, is a tough motherfucker. You guys going back and forth three rounds, and then you go into the fourth round, and you still manage to knock him out in the fourth round. That was a crazy fight. And to know that you're doing all this, giving yourself, I mean, what kind of a cardio deficit do you think cigarettes gives you? Is it 5% maybe? Uh, I really don't know. I've been smoking since I was since before I started doing kickboxing. So it was something that was just, you know, my cardio always sucks at the beginning of the camp, and then by the end of camp, and I'm outrunning everybody else. And it's a, it's I'm sure it's a deficit. For you sure. would have amazing cardio if you didn't smoke. Yeah. I mean, think of that. Yeah. Unless you know what I used to think when I was young, I was really retarded. I would think that maybe smoking cigarettes is like weightlifting for your lungs. Like it makes your lungs work harder mm-hmm. because like if you smoke, if you work out really hard and you smoke, like maybe your lungs have to like work extra hard to deal with that smoke and they get stronger. I quit for one fight when, uh, it was my last amateur fight and, uh, my coach, you know, was against it, obviously. And he was maybe, against you quitting? Oh, against me smoking. Oh. You know? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, come yeah, on, I wait, man. I wish, Don't yeah. be a pussy. Yeah. Have a beer. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, I quit for three months. I trained really, really hard. And, uh, for whatever reason I was exhausted in the fight and after the second round they're like you know seconds out and I'm like look at my coach I'm like I can't stand up like my legs were like locked up and he had to like lift me off the stool and uh I got robbed in the I lost that fight but it was you know everybody said I won the fight or whatever but uh that was my coach after the fight was like you know what you quit you did everything I asked you to you know do whatever you want to do after that and wow uh, yeah I wonder if your body was suffering nicotine withdrawal I don't know. Or if I was overconfident that my cardio was going to be so much better that I wasn't pacing or something. Oh, but, that uh, could be right. Yeah. That's a big issue, right? That a lot of uh, people that watch fights really have no idea. Mm-hmm. The, the energy management that's going on. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of management going on during a fight. And right. energy management is like a big issue. Knowing when to, when to blow it out. And that's why you see like a lot of guys. Uh, Chael Sun on the podcast said it best. He said, "If you try to win by knockout but don't win by knockout, you often lose the decision. Yeah, you just don't have the gas to keep going." Right. That's it's pretty true. It's How, pretty is true. that an experience thing? You think like when you're you're managing your energy like that in in the ring? I think uh, I think so. I think it's uh, it's also has a lot to do with like hiding how tired you are. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, um, and like that example, for example, that fight with uh, Simon Marcus you were talking about. I usually the way I hide it. Now the secret's gonna be out there, but like oh, shit. I'll do like a little walk off. And if you notice, like uh, the ref broke us, John McCarthy broke us, and like I turned my back and I was walking away, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> catching my breath and then he like you know he stalks me and as he's coming i'm waiting for that one big shot you know mm-hmm. so it's like you're exhausted you you pace yourself for a second to give that next explosion to give right. that next explosion you know it's just experience i've i've always been tired in every fight i've ever had so it's i'm at that level you know but like my last fight with bellator 
you know, I was just a different level of exhausted from the wrestling and the jujitsu that I haven't mm. been doing for 15 years of my life. And, you know, I'm at a point now in my career where it's like, I've worked my ass off for so long that like kickboxing comes natural to me, you know? And with MMA, it's like, if I want to, you know, yeah, I have half of the game down, but if I want to really take this to the next level, I have to improve on the ground and the wrestling. And that's going to take me improving my cardio i think you know so are you committed totally to fighting in both mma and kickboxing or do you do you go back and forth on this or um you know i i love kickboxing and i want to do it forever and if, if the opportunity stays there for me to do both then yes but i definitely have to step my game up in mma if you know I'm, i really hate my record this last fight uh <laughs> fucking drives me nuts so. the last fight was a, was a close one up until it got to the ground it just seemed like you were having a real hard time getting up mm -hmm. it's like there's a, such a giant issue when it comes to the difference between the the kind of endurance that you have with grappling mm -hmm. and you know and your your ability to calculate all the different moves and all the different like it takes so long to get grappling information in your body and mm -hmm. in your head there's just so much stuff that's going on where guys are holding you down. So like, there's a few guys that get the, the, the takedown defense game down, like Krokop did in Pride, mm -hmm. and then start to become really successful. But once they actually get taken down and actually get held down on the ground, like it just saps you of your energy, man. Right. And it, it takes away. I was watching. I was like, I wonder how frustrating this is for him because you're used to fighting your style of fight. Your right. style of fight is kickboxing. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden you got this guy on top of you and you can't get up and, you know, he's holding you down and nothing really was happening on the ground. Like mm -hmm. there wasn't there wasn't a lot of ground and pound. It wasn't like real significant submission attempts, but it's just keeping you from doing the shit you want to do. Right. Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating. You know? Do you think about just not doing it anymore? Uh. Not really, because I, I, you know, it's just not who I am. When things are frustrating and hard, I don't quit. You know, right. I just step it up to the next level usually, which is you know something I like about myself. So I don't want to change that. But, no, that's a good quality yeah, for just, sure. It's just you know it's frustrating. And then you know I obviously have things that I need to work on, and I you know I had stuff in the camp. You know I was really sick during the camp, and it's you can continue to kickbox when you're really sick. You know to an extent. But, like, you can't do jujitsu and be, like, drooling and slobbering and fucking sweating in some guy's <laughs> face when you have the flu, you know? So, like, for that camp, I only had, like, three weeks of jujitsu, and then I was sick for three weeks. I had a fucking bronchitis and lung infection and this oh. nasty shit, which probably fucking smoking wasn't, you know. Were you smoking while me. you had the bronchitis? Just, I was just smoking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what I wanted to ask you is about these stupid, these stupid vaporizer things that people mm -hmm. keep sending me. These vape. Yeah, know, I'm actually sponsored by Firebrand, and uh, yeah. it's been good. I think I'm gonna start using that stuff to uh, to quit. That's yeah. a way better w thing for your lungs, yeah. right? I mean, I think so. Allegedly, I mean, allegedly, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure in 20 years they're gonna say that, that was the reason that you know Joe got brain cancer. So <laughs> I just I wonder how, I mean, I know that uh, being a professional fighter takes an, a tremendous amount of dedication and time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like when I see you in glory and I see you also in, in Bellator, I'm like, man, does this guy have the amount of time that it takes to compete at the level that you compete at in kickboxing mm -hmm. in both? I mean, do you have the time to put in to jujitsu and to wrestling defense and stuff like that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really tough, you know, the... Um at the beginning of the year, I was really excited about it. Oh, it's going to be a busy year, you know. But it's really hard to have a fight and then 
immediately go right into another training camp for a different style or for you know for another yeah. sport and it's uh you know it's like these fight my next fight's June 26th and it's like I just fought and I'm jumping right back into Bellator camp. or Bellator kick- oh Bellator. So, back in it again yeah which is nice because at least it's two in a row you know right so, um yeah, it should be good. I'm leaving tomorrow to uh, Florida. I'll be an American top team for three weeks. Actually, That's a good move. I'm going to be uh, sparring with uh, Tiago Alves for his fight with Carlos Condit. And then, you know, working a lot with their wrestling team and with uh, King Mo out there. So That's very smart for him because, uh, you know, Carlos and you have similar builds. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's very smart for him, and that's great for you too. That's yeah. a great camp as far as, like, wrestling knowledge and grappling knowledge. Right. You know, like I said, you know, I'm not the kind of person that, like, when I lose a fight, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this shit anymore. I'll just go to where I'm good, you know. I'm, right. I, what do I need to do different? I need to get with a better team that's more focused on MMA and has better wrestlers. I'm, you know, work this out. I, I totally get that, but I would wonder how you could do both. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I would wonder. I mean, I, would, I, I could totally get you saying, hey, you know what? Right now, I'm in my athletic prime. I think that the, the eyes are on MMA right now, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to make the jump. Mm-hmm. And just fully make the jump, but to do both, I mean, you're still active at a world class level in kickboxing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're fighting world champions in kickboxing. I'm the real number one contender right now for glory, but I couldn't take you that, that fight. Shit? That's so a that, statement, motherfucker. The last person that you know, I knocked out Simon. I was ranked number one. He beat two guys that weren't even in the top three, and somehow got ranked number one to fight Artem Levin. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, those are good fights, though. They were good fights, but you know, that's what I'm saying, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> just got said it did get it gets said it got said now like <clears throat> to to make the decision though to like say if you have a camp and uh you're gonna go and do this bellator fight <clears throat> in june um and then if they offer you a kickboxing fight like say in august <clears throat> is that a difficult decision like do you say like hey you know i would rather be kickboxing for like four or five months really get sharp and in the groove or is it okay to bounce back and forth do you do enough kickboxing during your mma training uh, I think I can go. I can go back and forth with kickboxing at that level. You know, it's you just cut out. The problem is, is when I do the kickboxing fight, and then they offer me a Bellator fight right away. Because when I, if I fought Bellator in June, and then I was going to fight kickboxing in August, July, the end of June, July, and August, I wouldn't be doing any wrestling or you know, I just don't have time. I'd be right. focusing on kickboxing, sparring, all that stuff. So that was kind of the issue. You know, it's going back and forth. Would it make any difference at all if it was a Muay Thai fight instead of um, if, instead of kickboxing? Like if you're doing Muay Thai all the time and then went right into MMA where you got a little bit more grappling, would that ha- have any effect? Um, possibly. I mean, I still train pretty much the same. The difference would be the elbows for that. Um, is you know when not, I fight not the glory, work? Um, not so much. Um, I'm still clinching with kickboxing, uh, just not for as long a period of time. Um, you know, every referee is different, even with Glory. It's like they say no clinching, but then you watch my fight with Simon, and there was still f- way longer than five seconds of clinching in there. So uh, training-wise, it's it's still the same for me. That's one of the reasons why <clears throat> it was so particularly impressive, that first four-round fight, because Simon Marcus is a, a Muay Thai guy, mm-hmm. and he's known, that's a, one of his specialties, is his clinch. Mm-hmm. And he's just very physically strong, and he's, he fights a draining kind of fight. Just Absolutely. really gets a hold of guys, manipulates you around, throws a lot of knees and elbows in the clinch. And uh, to fucking go four rounds with that guy, and then fight two more times afterwards. And then against Wayne Barrett and fucking Artem Levin. Like, holy shit. Yeah, when I was l- walking out or limping out for the... You know, after I beat Simon the first time, I was, like, on a high. And then beating, 
you know, uh, Wayne, it was, I was just like, fuck, I got to fight one. It was, there was no high. It was like, I got to fucking one more fight after this is crazy. And, uh, we were in the back dressing room and everyone's just kind of, everybody was just in shock and just kind of looking at me like, how the fuck are you going to do this? And <laughs> I'm looking at them. I'm like, I have no fucking idea. I'm going to do this right now. And, and uh, I was limping to the ring and I'm just like, <laughs> and when was this? When was the cigarette? That cigarette was right after the fight with, uh, Robert Thomas in the dressing room. Ryan Loc- Loco showed up in my dressing room before I got in the shower and was like taking pictures. And I'm like, he's like, can I, can I take, I won't take a photo. And I'm like, Ryan, just take the picture. And, <laughs> and here it is. Now, when you uh, fought in the tournament, you didn't have any cigarettes in between fights or anything, did you? After Simon, I went outside and had a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Oh my God. You had a cigarette and then fought twice more. Damn, I mean, dude. for all this cigarette talk, I should get sponsored by Marlboro, right? You should. I mean, fuck the Reebok deal. Marlboro, what's up? Cowboy gets sponsored by Budweiser. Does he? Yeah, he's always wearing Budweiser shirts. they got to be throwing him some cash. Gotta I can't be. imagine he's not. Yeah. I don't see the dude without a Budweiser shirt on. Yeah? <laughs> I could be their poster boy. Yeah. Well, if anybody, would like, like Marlboro would love you. Yeah. Like, look at this fucking guy. You know? What do you smoke? What kind of you smoke? Marlboro Lights. There you go. They'd probably be like, look, folks, the lights are okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, this guy's got great cardio. This I mean, is perfect. How does a man fight so many rounds? You know, three different guys, one night. Come on. It's not that bad. Right. Don't be a pussy. Don't be a pussy. <laughs> Don't be a pussy. <laughs> yeah, those, yeah. Um, those vaporizer things, though, they, they have helped a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like, what about gum? You ever try that shit? Uh, I can't stand it. Just no. nicotine gum. Just not into it. And I'm like, it can't be good for your mouth. Going on fucking nicotine. I don't think nicotine is really as bad as the chemicals that are in it and the burning of the um, the, the plant matter. Hmm. I think there's something about the burning of the actual leaves themselves and then the, the 500 plus chemicals that the cigarette companies put into uh, cigarettes to enhance the flavor and to enhance the uh, addictive properties of it. So there's a, an interesting topic. So now uh, Philip Morris is making their own weed products now is that true i heard that they had uh you know they had some big fucking thing and that they're you know they're they're getting ready for the whole distribution of yeah so they have like marlboro weed cigarettes it's like you (laughs) go ahead and take something like natural and healthy and then give it to a a cigarette company and watch what happens and then all people will be getting fucking cancer and all kinds of shit from smoking weed yeah right they'll become republicans right. like something will happen they'll put some shit in the cigarettes and you're like you know what i'm not i don't think i'm real excited about gay marriage <laughs> I mean, like all of a sudden <laughs> all of a sudden people have these weird republican right-wing views right. um i think that uh it's real possible because if you see those natural cigarettes like those uh, american mm-hmm. what are those american, spirit, american spirits those are just tobacco right yeah. and they, apparently they taste like shit yeah you talk not a lot of good. my friends smoke them. I'm not, not a big fan. And they'll burn forever, which I guess is without the chemicals. Like a cigarette, if you light a cigarette and you sit in an ashtray, it will burn all the way down. Like if you lit like a joint and sit in an ashtray, it would burn out. You know, It won't right. burn the whole thing. But I guess it's the chemicals in it. They but keep like a, it lit. Uh, they yeah. keep it lit or keep it burning. And then the, uh, the American Spirits, it's like it takes forever to smoke one. Yeah. Which is kind of good. You only smoke like half of it and get rid of it. But, but they're disgusting, right? They're pretty nasty. Does in my it, opinion. Does it give you the same rush? Like, that's what you're getting, right? This nicotine rush, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. It would give you the same feeling. Because I think that tobacco itself is, I don't think it's good for you, but I don't think it's nearly as bad for you as the tobacco with all the jazz in it. Yeah, right. <clears throat> Do you ever see that movie, The Insider, Russell Crowe? Mm. It's uh, about, you know, 
you don't really know how much whenever they do a movie on real life situations you don't know how much fuckery is involved right. and manipulate things but the movie uh, is about a guy who is a scientist working for cigarette companies that his whole uh, deal is figuring out how to make them more addictive and then he testifies against cigarette companies and they you know they're fucking stalking his home scaring the shit out of him and it's apparently yeah. supposedly supposedly you got to say that based on a real story based on a real story yeah but there are Hundreds of chemicals, 500-plus yeah. chemicals that they put into uh, cigarettes for various reasons. Yeah, why would they do that? That menthol taste. Mm. I want to know how that got into the black community. How did uh, menthol... The cools. Yeah. Cools. What, it's the Nike, is that what upside-down Nike sign. Is that... Is it? Hmm. I know, that's the Newport. Is it Newport? Yeah, Newport. Newport has the yeah. Nike sign. I don't know. But yeah, how they do... Cools, that's true, right? Cools... It's, like, it's interesting how like certain cigarettes... Are for I mean they're just fucking cigarettes, but mm -hmm. they figured out a way to brand them so they appeal towards certain ethnic groups. <laughs> you know, like Lucky Strikes. You got to be some sort of a savage, like mechanic with fucking a missing pinky. You know, if you're drinking, if you're smoking those filtered Lucky Strikes, yeah. you're probably drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon right, right out of the can. You know, right. Your your uh, your your fingernails are always dirty. You're drinking, you know, you're, you're drinking horrible booze and you're smoking Lucky Strikes. Everybody knows that. You don't see black people smoking Lucky Strikes. When was the time you saw a black guy smoking American Spirits? No, those are white hipsters, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Try to be natural. Yeah. But Cools? I just remember Cools, so like there was an Eddie Murphy movie and it was they would always have like the black guy, like, where's my pack of Cools, man? <laughs> Give me that pack of Cools. My mother used to smoke Cools. I don't know what that says about my mom. Mm. Could, can't be good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say anything about Joe's mom. Yeah, man. If you think, like, if you see a, a young white gal and she's smoking cools, mm. and you're a black guy, you probably think you got a shot. Mm. Like, I see what she's doing. She's sending out the bat signal. <laughs> 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 it's just bizarre that there's certain cigarettes that uh, they appeal to certain ethnic groups. Yeah, huh? never thought about that. Yeah, it's um, marketing, man. Marketing is fucked. How clean is your diet when you, uh, I mean, obviously you have the issue with the cigarettes, but other than the, the issue with the cigarettes, how clean is your diet when you're training? Um, when I'm training, I just, you know, I don't eat like fast food and shit like that, but that's pretty much it. You know, it's, it? it's pretty weight management based, I would think. You know, if my weight's good, then I eat, you know, what I want. But if it's, uh, you know, when I used to fight like 175, 168, then it was like a month of low carb and was killing myself chicken salads three times a day oh so you do like um like an atkins type deal yeah when yeah. i do low carb like it works really well like, to take really, off really the well. weight yeah doesn't that f fuck with your energy yeah it would, it would especially as the fight got closer and i would really start cutting back on carbs like i, I would try to keep carbs like uh under 100 a day and then as i got closer it would be like under 50 and like the last week it'd be like almost no carbs and then i'd find myself like pulling out in front of in traffic like your brain works off of of carbs and water so uh yeah it wasn't good when i went up to 180 uh 187 for glory uh it was a lot easier to make weight and my performance was way 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 better yeah i would only imagine there's got to be a significant point of you know what you would call diminishing returns mm -hmm. where you can only cut so much weight where it's not going to benefit yeah totally it's not like when you see guys like Frankie Edgar that fought so well at 155 and he weighed 155. Mm -hmm. And then you see other dudes that are coming down from, you know, way, way above that. Uh, oftentimes, like in the high 180s, like Glacian T-Bow, you ever see that guy in real life? Mm -hmm. 
Wait till you meet him. You're going to go down to American Top Team? Yeah. You're going to look at that guy and you go, how in the fuck does that guy make 155? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. He's huge. I mean, he's fucking huge. I mean, he easily could be 190. I don't know how, I don't know how he does it. You see him when he's getting ready to weigh in. You're like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, that's not even 155 now. He gets in the scale. It says 155. And you're like, huh? How is that possible? Yeah. I don't, a lot of those guys, I just don't get it. I just don't, I don't understand. That's the dark secret of MMA. The dark secret of combat sports is the weight cut. It's very dangerous. You, you heard about that guy that just died recently, kidney failure? No. Yeah, the amateur guy um, just died uh, just uh, like a week or two ago. Yeah, he had uh, kidney failure. They uh, pulled him out, took him to the hospital. I believe he died uh, shortly after. I want to say a day or two later. But That's terrible. Yeah, it's that fucking dehydration, man. It's just so dangerous. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I mean, I've had some really, really bad cuts in the past. And obviously, the yeah, the performance wasn't good. But there was a couple of ones where it was like walking to the way in. Like there was, a, was it get uh, at Commerce Casino? There's like a long fucking stairway, and like every step, I would have to stop and like, and then take another step. It took me like 15 minutes to get up the stairs, and it was like the doctor like check, you know, does like the check or whatever beforehand. He's like, I'm not letting you cut another ounce if you don't make it usually they give you like two hours to make two more pounds or whatever he's like you're not cutting any more weight and i had to like tell him like i'm I'm okay i have a nurse standing by i'm gonna get an iv like i'm gonna be all right but it was really really bad and then you know you see some of these guys uh which and he was the ultimate fighter where the guy was like in the back cramping and screaming and crying Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let him fight but yeah i don't know why people go that that far for it. it's all the wrestling the influence of wrestling because mm-hmm. that, that's always been a part of the wrestling culture like if you if you try to wrestle at your natural weight you're a pussy like like what you can't cut weight you can't you can't be uncomfortable like wrestlers only seem to be happy when they're miserable like they're, they're happy when they're chewing ice and running upstairs they, they it's like they're like marines in a certain way we're like marines you ever talk to marines they mm-hmm. they always want like they'll they'll brag about how much more miserable their time was than other people's time like they they take pride in the fact that they can suffer and and endure it yeah i mean i guess there's you know like it's not easy to fucking endure misery i I guess there's a badge of courage attached to that but when it comes to wrestling there's like a culture of being miserable a culture of like overtraining like no one overtrains like wrestlers Mm -hmm. like it's a it's a significant issue because yeah, you get mental toughness out of it. Like, there's no one mentally tougher than wrestlers. When it comes to MMA, like, when those guys enter into into MMA, they have this, this fucking steel determination. Like, the elite high-level wrestlers, you get it from elite high, high-level kickboxers as well, but... It seems like there's something about that the grind of amateur wrestling, going through high school, going through college, going through, you know, uh, Olympic trials or whatever to do. The, the the level of intensity in the wrestling room and the dealing, the constantly dealing with being in a, a bad state physically, like constantly overtrained. They just develop this mindset of, of driving through that. It just sounds miserable. I mean, I feel depressed while just hearing you talk about it. Like, <laughs> fuck, who wants to do that shit? Yeah. There's talk about um, the, the guy who runs um, the uh, California State Athletic Commission. Um, he wants to have people, Andy Foster, very smart guy, had a good conversation with him. He wants to uh, talk to uh, guys about possibly putting uh, some sort of a limit as to how much you can gain. Like, to like. After the weigh in. Yeah, after the weigh in, to discourage like really bad weight cuts. Like, you know, cut it to like. 
10 pounds, 15 pounds, whatever the fuck it is, whatever the number is. What do you think of that? Uh, well, I mean, the theory is good, but then you still have the same problem as before. You get these guys that think they can cut 30 pounds, and then I'll just mm-hmm. put on 10 more, you know? Well, then you're you're still fighting dehydrated, and you're going to have the same injuries and, and risks. You know, yeah. You're almost, you're almost risking more now because you're not allowing them to at least get in there healthy. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I agree. You know, I think the the real way to do it is probably to weigh someone like six weeks out. Yeah. You know? And then and then figure out how much you would allow them, <clears throat> but they would cheat then too. Yeah, they would and they'd just, cut weight every, yeah. like once a week before the weigh-in. Yeah, yeah they would cu- just cut a shitload of weight six weeks out. It was a lie, mm-hmm. you know. They'd cut ten pounds, and then you'd say, "All right, you can lose fifteen more." And then now they're cutting twenty-five. You know, it just seems like the other option is the day of weigh-ins, which is terrible because they'll cut weight then too. Yeah, they'll do it. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I don't know how how to fix it. Other than telling people it's bad for you, you know, more people die, I guess. Yeah, it's I'd say. I, I mean, would there be a benefit of making people fight at their natural weight? Like, would you would you walk around like close to two hundred? Yeah, I'm about two oh five right now. And when you get into the ring, when you fight, like saying glory, will you be about two hundred? Yeah, two hundred somewhere. I'll be right there? around like two hundred pounds. What about? Like making some sort of agreement with other fighters that also are like that, like a guy like Simon, mm-hmm. like just weigh in the day of the fight, no cutting weight. Mm-hmm. Like this is what you got to weigh. You got to weigh two hundred pounds. Yeah. Or maybe can that make be done? It, make it opening. Like you, okay, you got to be between one ninety and two hundred. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Right. But ten people cut weight, right? Well, wouldn't they cut weight to make two hundred? Yeah, but they'd be bigger. They bulk up to like two ten and cut down. And it's like, yeah, it almost so seems like there's no way to... There's no way to fix it, I guess. That's a fucked up situation. Yeah. And for people who don't know, the real issue with uh, weight cutting when it comes to combat sports as opposed to wrestling is head trauma. Mm-hmm. Because uh, your brain takes a while, when you're, especially when you're just ingesting fluids orally, meaning just drinking water or Pedialyte or whatever. It takes a while to get up to your brain. Mm-hmm. But in wrestling, that's okay because no one's kicking you in the head. Right. You know, when you're in MMA or kickboxing, you got a real issue because it takes a while for it, which is why everybody likes to go with uh, IV bags. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Fuck. It's MM- almost like MMA is too much. There's like too much going on mm-hmm. between all the different shit you have to do. And then also you have five minute rounds as opposed to three minute rounds of kickboxing. The wrestling, the kickboxing, the the submissions, like all all the different variables, it's almost like you fucking can't keep up with it. Yeah, that's there's a lot of shit going on there. <clears throat> I don't know how to fix the weight. I mean, it's got to be an issue in boxing too, no? Or we just don't talk about it. It's not as big an issue. It's not as big an issue because the the physical weight is not as big an issue. It's an issue, but it's not as big an issue as say like a guy who can take you down and oh, use right. that weight on top of you. Right, because the weight isn't gonna really. <laughs> Help you that way. Yeah, like you see a guy like Chris Weidman who fights at 185. He does not weigh 185 right now. Mm-hmm. If you weighed Chris Weidman right now, he's got to be well over 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. He's a big boy. And he has a hard cut to get down to 185. And he's a UFC middleweight champion, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and he fights a very, very heavy physical style, very, uh, very aggressive, gets on top of dudes, vicious ground and pound, knows how to use his weight. And if you're not prepared to that weight, like after Lyoto fought him, one of the first things Lyoto said was, "I got to get stronger. Yeah. I just got to get bigger. I just can't, I can't fight at this weight." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like you know some people they just 
gain weight easier than other people. Like some guys in shape could be right around 205, but when they're out of shape, they get all the way up to like 225 pounds. Me, I'm like 205 to 210, period. In shape, out of shape, whatever. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not the type of guy that gets fat. You know, what I mean? that's smart. Well, it's just I wish I could gain weight. It would be a little easier. You know, if I for me to bulk up for a fight and do the weights, and I'm drinking like three thousand calorie shakes like twice a day, you know, just to try to put weight on. And uh, it's, I see these other guys that you know that uh, who's that the Bellator champion Housley. You know, mm-hmm. he posted a picture the other day that he was like two thirty. Yeah, did you see? There's a there was an article on the underground about that guy where people are accusing him of uh, Mexican supplements. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I forget. I, I don't like to engage in those things because I don't know what who's telling the truth or who's not telling the truth. Anytime someone fights well, there's all immediate yeah. accusations. Like that was one with um, uh, Rafael dos Anjos after he beat Pettis. Like everybody was saying, oh, he's got to be on something. He's got to be on something. Like look at him. He's got to be on something. I just think anybody that does well, they're going to say that, you know. And then, like, who's saying it? It's the fans. Some, the Bellator posted a picture of me after I knocked out um, Melvin and a picture when I was 17 years old training, right? <laughs> and all the comments were like, PEDs. <laughs> like, since I was 17? Like, really? How, I can't believe he looks different than when he was 17. So. Yeah, that's weird, dude. You yeah. see, wait a minute. You, you got older and uh, you look different? Yeah, it's Crazy. Strange as fuck. Hmm. Dos Anjos looks exactly the same, too. That's why it's so stupid that yeah. everybody's accusing him. Doesn't mean he couldn't possibly have been on something, but, you know, he's training with uh, one of the disciples of uh, Marv Marinovich. Do you know the Marv? Really? Mar- yeah. Yeah. He's training with this guy, Nick Curson, who's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited to uh, interview that guy. Um, and he's got some pretty radical training methods that he learned from uh, Marv Marinovich. Because I heard them talk about him when BJ used him, right? Mm-hmm. A couple years back. Yeah. And this guy has the same sort of training methods. I, I really uh, can't wait to interview him and talk yeah. to him about these, these methods. But, That's interesting. Yeah, because D- Dos Anjos was in insane shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the pace that he put on Pettis... And he didn't have any holes. I mean, there was nothing, nothing, his striking was on point, his grappling was insane, his cardio was insane. I mean, he just covered all the bases, dotted all his I's, checked all his T's. It was, uh, that was impressive as fuck. Mm-hmm. I want to find out what this guy's doing. Yeah, Cause me I, too. I always wonder, like, how much of, of, a, how much of a training camp, and this is protect, particularly uh, important, I guess, in MMA, how much of a training camp should be dedicated to strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. and how much should be dedicated to skill work? You know, for me, I for last man standing, I had a like a six months notice or something for the for the fight, and uh, my fight before that was with Wayne Barrett in New York, and I just felt physically too small when I fought him. I mean, that was the first time in my career where the guy that I weighed in against and the guy I got in the ring with were like two different people. And uh, it really bothered me mentally. And, like, there were shots that he would hit me with that, like, didn't even land, but he, like, hit me in the forearm, and he'd be, like, pushing me across the ring. And I really felt, like, too small. And, um, you know, I hit the weights, and I was doing the high-calorie things or whatever, and I did the weights for a long, long period of time. And then um, my coach stopped me about six six weeks out from the fight and was like, okay, no more weights. Now you have to get your... Because I was you know, stiff and, you know, if you lift weights, so. You're sore all the time, right? Yeah, you're just sore and you're, every time you're building muscle, you're making it tighter and tighter and tighter. And, mm-hmm. you know, for speed, for kickboxing especially, and boxing, it's about uh, technique and um, 
being loose and snap more so than like punching hard and the economy of movement too right you got to be able to be loose and yeah it's it's about getting that punch to snap at the end and not trying to push through right 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 and uh you know i had a really good result with that with that camp um and i felt like i was hitting harder obviously it knocked out simon you know so it was good um but like now when i'm fighting so actively it's like i I don't really have time to hit the weights and like bulk up or like get that tight again you know Mm. so that's that's been an issue for me when you're fighting so consistently i'm sure that uh you know uh i'd be interested to see what donald cerrone does when he's fighting so often you know if he has time because for me it was like okay get right back into camp you're right back where you are like the last you know, five weeks you're running all the time. You're trying to get your speed and your agility, but there's not a whole lot of strength training going on. Yeah, I talked to Diego Sanchez about that, and Diego, the way he would prepare for a yes! fight, yes, <laughs> yes, he'd just pull out a cross and just start fucking screaming, yes. I didn't see that. Somebody told me about that the <laughs> you other never day, seen it? and I'm like, what the fuck? Jamie, are you talking pull this about? up. You got to see oh this. Oh my god, he I just saw out. it the other day. And I was like, are you? he was telling me about it. I didn't believe him, and then I YouTubed, and I was like, holy shit. That's some. There's not a motherfucker something. alive who believes in himself more than Diego Sanchez. I mean, yeah. you might believe in yourself as much, but you are at a hundred percent. You're at a hundred percent belief. Yeah. That motherfucker believes. I mean, I had in seen himself. it when he was like walking out yelling yes or whatever, but I hadn't seen where he like pulled out the cross and was like <laughs> fighting demons on the way to the ring. That was fucking crazy. That was that, one of the greatest moments I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if that's belief or what that is. That it's was a lot something. of things, man. That was something. It's a lot of things. No, this is this is just a yes one. This is great. Yeah. I but he's like, Diego's an interesting cat because he's like, he's very big on yoga. He's very big on uh, sensory deprivation tanks. Like we talked in depth about sensory deprivation. Find he's got maybe it's the craziest one. Is it say craziest Diego Sanchez Sanchez? That's very subjective though. All of his walk-ins are crazy. He uh, no, no no he's, he's got wearing, like he's a, got a cloak hood. or yeah. some shit and he's like <laughs> fucking fighting demons on the way to the ring. It yeah, was, it looks like some sort of a monk. Yeah. It was- <laughs> <laughs> he's a big like he's a big fan of optimizing everything he's got including his mental state like he's really into like positive affirmations and positive thinking yeah here it is yeah this one yeah so as he walks out like as he starts walking out towards it's a, like, I'm pretty sure this I is I got something it. for him like he's like hiding it or something and then bam yeah there it is here's a fucking cross <laughs> <laughs> look at this Oh, see, I, I don't. I wasn't calling this fight. I don't believe. I believe I was watching it at home, so I got a chance to laugh. I, I could mean, laugh really hard. That's that's something right there. That's if I had to see. If I was seeing this, yeah, it's Kenny Florian talking. If I was there live, I most certainly would have started laughing. Yeah, but what I was going to say is that Diego, what he does before camps is he would do only strength and conditioning. No fitness, no uh, striking training, no grappling training, no nothing. Everything he would do leading up to his camp would be like weightlifting, running, mm-hmm. like all physical, physical shit. Just get his body to the peak of condition. Then he would start to taper off of that and then go into his skill set training. Right. So they would do it like when he would actually do his six weeks for camp, his six weeks would be all wrestling, all striking, all jujitsu. Right. That's ideally what I would do, except now it's like I only have six weeks between a fight. You know right. what I mean? So I don't really have time to, to do that right now. He brought in Steve kind of Maxwell issue. for his BJ Penn fight. And, you know, it was interesting because Steve said it was 
it would almost be better if I didn't train him because Steve was like, because if I didn't train him, he wouldn't be in as good a shape and the, it, it would have been like a quicker fight. Like he was so he was outclassed in that fight. Like BJ was just lighting him up, mm-hmm. and because he was in such good shape, he was able to take a tremendous amount of punishment. Mm-hmm. I mean, BJ dropped him just a couple minutes or so into the first round, and then just battered him for the rest of the fight until he eventually cut him with that head kick and stopped him. That's interesting too, because I've heard, and I, I kind of believe it, is that your chin is improved with your the better shape you're in. Yeah, Have you heard that before? Like you know? I would imagine. I wonder why that is, though. Well, I think that when you're tired, you're weak, you know? I mean, um, I I remember I, I had a, I fought in a kickboxing tournament. It was uh, in Rhode Island, above the waist kickboxing, mm-hmm. the old school mm-hmm. days. I PK, saw somebody posted one of, your, one of your spinning heel kick knockouts yeah. not too long ago. That was pretty cool. That was a Taekwondo tournament. But in the kickboxing tournament, I fought three times in one night, and um, I won the first fight by knockout. Uh, I beat the shit out of the second guy, and then I had a long wait like like an hour plus for the third fight and i was exhausted mm-hmm. and i wasn't in the best of shape I wasn't you know wasn't that smart back then I wasn't eating very good and uh i was really tired after the first round of this fight and this guy hit me with a punch that really wasn't that it wasn't that big of a punch like i remember seeing it on video he hit me with a left hook and my legs just went take care yeah we'll see you later they just stopped working and like I'm like any other time I'd be able to take that punch. Like it doesn't make any sense. It wasn't like sometimes you see a punch and you see your head snap back and you go, God damn. Mm-hmm. Like you got cracked. But this wasn't that. It was just my body just was exhausted. And if I was in better shape, I know I would have been able to take that better. Mm-hmm. And you see guys that are in really good shape and it's very rare that they can't recover from a couple hard shots. Whereas it's it seems like Everything is based on your vitality, and if your body is in really good condition, you can bounce back from things quicker. Like Frankie Edgar is another perfect example. I think a lot of it you have to chalk off to heart and will and determination. Mm-hmm. You know, like some guys like Frankie just has this fucking incredible will. Like you can't, like he's like a dude who's a little dude who people have been fucking with him since he's, he was he's a little guy. He ain't having it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> he's, he's gonna he's gonna fucking kick your ass. It doesn't matter how hard you hit him. He's eventually gonna if a fight if all fights went to a hundred rounds. Frankie Edgar would never lose. Yeah. He would just keep going and keep going and keep going. Eventually, you get it tired, and he would beat your ass. But I think one of the w- ways that he could absorb the kind of punishment that he could absorb, like against Gray Maynard, remember those fights? Fucking insane, two insane first rounds mm. where Gray had him out in both fights. Gray cracked him. I mean, he's wobbling. A lot of lot of referees would have stopped the fight. He's going down two, three times in the first round, just getting wobbled, blood, face swelling. Second round, he comes out and he wins a round. You know, how's he doing it? Well, he's doing just insane shape. His yeah. cardio is just so fucking good. He can take it. He bounces back from it. He recovers quickly. And then his cardio is so good that in the second round, he's back again. <laughs> Well, then it's like the guys that lose their chin. Are they just not in good shape anymore? Or is it no, just I think gone, it's a punishment you know? issue. I think it's, you know, it's weird. We, we've all seen it. Guys in the gym oh, yeah. that have a certain amount of certain amount of times you can punch that card mm. until it's like it's over. It's it just it. doesn't work anymore. Chuck described it to me once, and he said the way it was described to him uh, is that the doctor was telling him that at a certain point in time, your brain recognizes that you're too tough for your own good. So your brain knows when it gets tagged, oh, this fucking dude is just going to start absorbing punches again, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to deal with all this damage. Let's just shut off. Right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. 
But last time this happened, we just took a little nap and everything was fine. Let's just do that again. Yeah, you know? let's just take a little nap. And just like fuck this guy. Just <laughs> <laughs> this asshole wants uh, us to go eat. Punches. Joe's doing this shit again. Fuck you, Click. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta wonder, like, what is that? When that time is, you know, like when when do you uh, when do you when do you know? Was most fighters have think like you know what if I just have one more camp and maybe I'll do eight weeks instead of six weeks and maybe I'll clean my diet up and maybe I'll bring in a guy to work with me maybe on my defense a little bit more and maybe my strength and conditioning could be better that improve everything and I mean you got to know in the camp though I mean if you're getting knocked out in sparring regularly you know if that's happening like that's never happened mm. to me in sparring but like if that's if that's a thing that happens in the gym, like how much confidence can you really have when you're walking to the ring? Like right. two weeks ago, I got knocked out. Shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's a regular occurrence. Regular occurrence in MMA. Uh, Forrest Griffin, when he yeah, fought Anderson, Forrest. he got knocked out apparently twice. Yeah. And um, you've seen the Marvin Eastman, Travis Luter fight. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that was when Marvin got hit with this very strange punch. It was like it was a decent punch, mm -hmm. but it was like at the very end of the punch, and he just went out like he got shot. Oh right! And I remember thinking, "Wow, like that's kind of crazy." Then we found out afterwards he got knocked out twice in camp, yeah. like really recently. Like Tito had knocked him out with a knee, and then someone had knocked him out. Uh, he got knocked out with like a takedown attempt or something like that. Like it was like two two in a row. So like one didn't really recover from that. Went back in, got another one. See, that's the other thing. It's like if. Are these is did the, is there just a number or is it like this guy got knocked out and it didn't do the right things didn't do the hyperbaric mm. chamber just didn't take time off you know what I mean Do you do that hyperbaric chamber uh, I used I've done it before and I did uh, I do like the the uh, altitude tents I have mm -hmm. one at my house Oh yeah, yeah. you sleep in that Yeah Do you get your lady to sleep in there with you Yeah she's not a big fan <laughs> <laughs> She sleeps there too. It's like a giant tent and the uh, the uh, <clears throat> You know, our nightstands and bed and everything fits in there. And, you know, <laughs> she just can't stand, like, the smell of it because it smells like you're sleeping in a tent. You know, it's oh, like, like vinyl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember BJ Penn in one of the countdown shows. He goes, when you're going to sleep in a big plastic tent, you know someone's going to get their ass kicked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of fucked up, right? Like uh -huh. sleeping in a big plastic tent just to... But that's the only way to mimic it. They say that's actually the best way. That's actually even better than training at altitude mm -hmm. because training at altitude kind of limits your workload. Right. Whereas uh, you really want the recovery. There's this place in uh, Costa Mesa that I w we used to go to before I got this tent. And I probably will start going back to it because it was really good. It was in, It's called uh, Ascent and the product is called CVAC. And it's this altitude chamber that... Um, it looks like a jet plane cockpit. Uh, Ian uses it a lot. Yeah, too. Ian yeah. McCall. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a design by the guy that invented the MRI machine, and it's actually the purpose behind it was to f like cure diabetes or treat diabetes with circulation problems or something. But they yeah. can't. They're in the process of getting it uh, licensed or whatever to where they could was approved by the FDA or diabetes, whatever. Diabetes, huh? Yeah, something wow. about they get people that have like you know how people have diabetes, their feet turn purple because they're fucking. Blood flows, blood flows all fucked up. They put people on this machine, and they'll like after a couple treatments, like their feet get regular color again. But the way it works is it, it's uh, it takes you to way higher altitude than like my at home goes to like sixteen thousand feet. This will go all the way to like thirty three thousand feet or some shit, like Everest, like Everest, and it goes up and down. So like in a twenty minute session, it goes. 
you know, based on what program it is, like maybe Everest to back down to zero, like a hundred times in 20 minutes. So like the, while you're in there, it's constantly dropping. The pressure's filling up and dropping. Cause the guy found that your body goes through more of a metabolic change during the, the change of altitude, as opposed to like what we've known is you go and you stay there for eight hours or however long, and then you come back down to train. So this is constantly going up and down, up and down, up and down. And your body's like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And that's supposed to create more red blood cells or circulation. Really? Mm -hmm. Can you get one of those for a gym? You can, they have, I think there's like 15 in the U S um, really like crazy expensive. I'm sure. But I'm uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you could, you could definitely do that. You could hit up, uh, ascent there in Costa Mesa. Yeah. Demo and say, really is there a demo for this? They have a video, Jamie. Uh, yeah, probably. That looks like you're gonna launch into the fucking universe in that thing. Uh, a lot of a lot of fighters use it. A lot of uh, triathletes are using it down there. Uh, it's it's really good stuff. I just stopped doing it because it was so with my schedule and training here and there and everywhere else. Driving all the way to Costa Mesa and back every day was tough. But. If you had one in the yard, though, oh. you'd probably jump in that bitch every oh, day. Every right? day, I'd sleep in that thing. Crank this up, Jamie. Let me hear this. It's I want to hear what awesome. they have to say. Creating lower pressure and thinner air just like you'd get on a day of skiing up in Aspen. Athletes get an increase in VO2 max, peripheral vision, quicker reaction, Whoa. endurance, power. The CVAC people say the body's response is to increase its blood volume, but that they still haven't studied the effects enough to say for sure. I decided to get into the thing and try out a typical session. Am I gonna get injured in this thing? Pussy. Get in there. Like your ears will pop like shit. Like it really? fucking hurts. Like you have to get. It takes like four or five sessions to get used to it. Wow. But uh, yeah, my coach would notice a big difference. And like the biggest difference that I noticed from that, from using the altitude tent, was like the fog of like sparring or being in a fight. Like all of the everything kind of slowed down. Like it just seemed like more focused. I'd find myself like checking out the guy's tattoos instead of being like, <laughs> you know, and like my coach would notice a big difference, like two sessions in there. And he'd be like, you've been using that machine, huh? And I'm like, yeah, really? Wow. Cause I mean, as a smoker, Joe, I got to take every, every, you know, I got to do everything I can. So that was, that was regularly part of like six or seven of my fights. I was going down there. Uh, no shit, man. Yeah. You got to get back in there, dude. Yeah, I really do. We got to Oh, look at these. His ears are popping. Yeah, so you're constantly in there just popping your ears, popping your ears, popping your ears. Oh, yeah, this is fucking cool. The fucking cap, the, it'll crush. The Whoa. fucking cap will go shooting off. The water bottle just like like a gorilla smushed it. What I literally loved about it is there was only like 12, I think, in the U.S. So like, I knew when I was in there that my opponent wasn't, wasn't using that shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is... That's what people feel like when they do weapon. steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, yeah. Did we talk about the cryo chamber last time you were yeah, here? Yeah, you, you referred me. I went down to it one day. Yeah? It was cool. It was real cool. There's one cold. out here now. Oh, yeah? There's one right down the street. You're yeah, fucking living in that shit. How many times just, today have you been in there? I haven't been yet. Yeah? It just opened. It hasn't <clears> even had like a hard opening yet. they just done a soft opening. Oh, yeah. Same company, though. Cryo Healthcare. That's, that's where you went, right? Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? It was really cool. It was really cool. Cold as fuck, but when you get out, don't you feel like you can jump over the moon? Yeah, it was like fucking... I, I tried to describe it in text, and I was like, I didn't sound fucking right at all. But like, when you're in there, and I would like take a deep breath, it's almost like a head rush. Like, the mm -hmm. fucking cold air going in, it was it was almost like a whip it. It was cool. I mean, the whole thing was fucking cool. It was, it was cool. And then next on my list, I want to try one of those... Uh, the float labs. The tell me when. You yeah. tell me when. Man, you can use mine at my house. Yeah. Come on over, dude. You tell me when. All right. Whenever. Whenever you're free. Well, listen. Let's let's set up a date soon and uh, come on over to the house. You can have dinner, and okay. then uh, I'll leave you down there for a few hours. Cool. 
and come on up and you'll you'll freak out. Yeah. It's awesome. What what, what is, I mean, my buddy told me about it and it's like a hallucinogenic kind of thing. Or? Well, sorta. And then well, I've heard people like using it for training. So yeah, what's well, great for training? You know, it's great for problem solving too. Uh, I use it for like if I have a joke that I'm working on that's not working well, mm -hmm. I'll go in there and I'll sort it out. I'm like, oh, fuck, it's got to be an angle for this joke. Like I can sit down and look at a keyboard and maybe think about it, but I feel like my mind has more resources when I'm in the tank. And the reason being is that the idea of the sensory deprivation tank was created by this guy named John Lilly. John Lilly was this really nutty dude. He was a psychedelic pioneer, uh, esteemed professor and intellectual. He was a pioneer in interspecies communication, did a lot of research with dolphin communication, did a lot of drugs and uh, a lot of LSD, a lot of ketamine. And one of his things was he was trying to figure out how to separate the mind from the influence of the body mm -hmm. he was thinking that there's like oh my neck hurts like oh i got a fart you know like all these different things that are going on in your body that are distracting the mind mm -hmm. how could i get away from that and he came up with a bunch of different solutions one of them was you've seen that movie altered states you ever seen that movie? It's really stupid, man. It was great in the 80s when I saw it. When I was a kid, I was like, this movie's great. And it's one of the movies you watch again when you're 40. You go, what the, the fuck? fuck? <laughs> this movie's a piece of shit. <laughs> so many movies don't hold up, yeah. man. It's weird. No. It's one of them. It does not hold up. But um, it was based on John Lilly. That's how all the Van Damme movies were. Like, oh, when yeah. I, when I was like, kickboxer, <laughs> were, like changed my life, you know? And I saw it a couple months ago, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Uh, have you seen that little kid before we get into the sensory deprivation tank? Have you seen that little kid doing the Bruce Lee nunchuck scene? Yeah, I saw that Holy shit. Holy shit. Fucking amazing. Like pull, four years old. Pull this up. We've got, we got to watch this. Look at this little kid. He's wearing a Bruce Lee outfit from the game of death. And he's got nunchucks just like Bruce Lee's. And he was he's doing it in sync to Bruce Lee behind him. Like the little That's the best part the right walk. there. He's doing the total nunchuck move skillful as fuck he's five years old that's and so awesome he's doing everything exactly the way bruce is doing it on the screen behind him <laughs> so cool so cool this is amazing it's so good like first of all this kid definitely can't read yet mm. right no. he's five no he probably hasn't even been to school yet maybe a little bit of kindergarten you know yeah, pre-K, maybe. So he's got no information in his head other than this Bruce Lee scene. That's the key. That's the key. And, like, <laughs> you know, and by the time that kid's 12, there will be 500 people in his life to tell him to be realistic and, mm. like, shoot down every imaginative thing that he has in his fucking head. <sighs> I, when I look, like, my kids just, I love this. This makes me really happy when I see that. Yeah, me too, man. Dana White posted this video the other day of a little girl hitting the mitts. Mm -hmm. See if you can find that video on Dana White's Instagram. It's this little girl. She looks like she's maybe like six or seven years old, and she's hitting the mitts, and fucking technique is on yeah. point. She's blocking and rolling and, you know, no kicks, just punches, but, like, god damn. I remember when that Tap Out commercial came out a couple years ago, and they had those two kids, the two little boys, yeah. where they were doing all that shit. Dude. This is the future. Of the Here's the video. Watch this little girl. Oh, this I saw is this, yeah. Dope. I mean, come on, man. This is fucking badass. Look at the technique. Look at her footwork, the movement. Look at the fucking ducking. Come on, man. Every time she's throwing these punches, her hands are in the right position. That's impressive. I'm so impressed with this. That's impressive. 
I, you know, that that girl's gonna grow up to be a psycho. You don't want to date her. Yeah, but. no, don't date that one. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, there needs to be like, some level of where the fight should stop, and you're like, okay, just, you know, I don't want the girl to be able to like take it to the next level. You know? <laughs> you're arguing, and then she starts beating your ass. Like, that's not cool. Yeah, like if you're dating Ronda Rousey and she mounts you, yeah. you're like, oh, listen, bitch, you gotta get off me. <laughs> <laughs> Leave my arm alone. Um, so the sensory deprivation thing, mm. the get back to that, the way he first did it was like a scuba helmet. He uh, came up with a way to, like, to hook up a scuba helmet with like these underarm harnesses so that you kinda, you're suspended by the air in the scuba helmet and you know, it kind of like floats your body. And then eventually you forget about the scuba helmet. And then somewhere along the lines, he realized that if you just had water that was filled with salt – that you would just float in it, sort of like the Dead Sea. You ever see those videos of the people that go to the Dead Sea? No, I've heard about this. I'm hoping you explain it to me. So you float on the salt. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's packed full of salt, but the salt like is buoyant? The see, salt or? is as long as you continue to cycle the water. The water, my pump goes on every morning. Uh, it's on a timer. So like at 5 o'clock in the morning, like uh, sometimes I'm up real early and I'll hear boom coming down from the basement and that's the pump kicking on automatically hmm. and the the water cycles uh, through this series of filters these huge spa filters with like the way that guy crash down at the float lab uh in venice is a mad genius this guy has done like when he first came around i found out about him uh, through a guy who used to repair tanks for this company called Samadhi. Samadhi is the first company that I bought a tank from, and they were actually in business with Lily. Uh, Lily's first tank, or one of his first tanks, was a Samadhi, and um, <clears throat> he kind of taught them how to put it together and manufacture it. And then this guy Crash, he's just crazy, and he's just very technically oriented, and he just took it to a totally new level. He uses ozone to filter out the water, and he has oxygen pumped into the chamber. He made the chamber walls real thick and insulated so it it retains heat, no sound. It keeps the heat stable, and they're much taller. His tanks are seven feet tall and six feet wide and nine feet long. I mean, he's he's a master. The guy just figured it out, and so this uh, pump kicks on, and it goes through all the water, cycles all the water, so the water doesn't crystallize. Because if you let it sit, the salt will eventually crystallize. And then I've done that before. Accidentally, the power uh, kicked off, and I didn't know about it. Like a, a circuit blew, mm-hmm. and I had these rocks, these giant like crystals uh, in the in the uh, water, just because the salt had sort of congealed because there was no uh, heat in it anymore to keep it keep it warm. Mm-hmm. But as long as the water keeps cycling and as long as the water stays at a high temperature, which is around, you want to keep it, mine's at 94 degrees, which is about the same as the the surface of your skin. Oh, okay. So then when you lie in it, you don't feel the water really because the water is the same temperature as your skin. That's the goal. If it's too hot, you'll start to sweat. If it's too cold, you'll feel cold. But if you get it just in that Goldilocks zone, then once you relax, you don't feel the water. And half of your body, like, like say like if you cut a person in half from the top of their head, like mm-hmm. sideways, like uh, everything above your nipples is like, that's what it looks like right there. Perfect example. Huh. So uh, in this image that we're looking at right here, this guy's floating in the water and uh, it's just because of the salt. There's a, mine has, mine's a little bit bigger than this tank, so mine has a thousand pounds of salt in it. It's all Epsom salts too, which is really good for your body. Like when I'm real sore, I take Epsom oh, yeah. salt baths. They're great for you. It's something about the the amount of salt in your body, or uh, magnesium. Cause, yeah, because we use it to 
to cut weight sometimes. Too. Yeah. Like the last couple ounces or pounds that you can't get out. Also, if you drink it in water, you will shoot diarrhea out of your asshole in a way that you've probably never experienced in your life. It's like a way of uh, It's not purging. really on my top 10 list of things I need to do, but all right. <laughs> well, people do if it. If you're bored, you could shoot diarrhea out of your ass like nobody's business. It's like a, a way to do an enema. Yeah? It's, yeah, yeah. You can, you drink a little bit of, I mean, it's not much. It's like a couple of tablespoons in a glass of water. And you just, yeah, yeah, whoa! <laughs> you just run to that bathroom. But something about that salt just gets in there and scrubs the inside of your huh. colon. and wow. Anything that's stuck... That's got to be pretty healthy, actually. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Could be not good yeah, at all. I, I mean, I don't, have you done a colonic? Mm. Yeah, no. I haven't either. No. I don't know about that. Like, I hear mixed things. I hear it's real. I'm sure people on Twitter will tell me now about how great it is or how awful it is. Somebody, like, There's another thing. Somebody did that for the Ultimate Fighter to cut weight on one of the episodes. Oh, that was Gabe Rudiger. Yeah, yeah, Rudiger. Yeah, he just probably wanted something up his ass. Yeah, I don't know about that, <laughs> No, it's. A, I'm just kidding, Gabe. It's it's supposed to be good for he's you in kidding. some ways. He, no, he's not. Before we went on the show, yeah, no. before we started, Joe Rogan was talking about you, Gabe. He said that you're into shit like that. I was just putting it out there. I didn't say that. <laughs> making shit up. If you're gay, if you're into things in your ass. Some dudes are straight as fuck. They just like things in their ass. It's up to you, folks. It's all on you. It's okay. No judgment. Um, but the colonic thing, I have a friend who did it and he said, dude, it's like the fucking pianos were coming out of my ass He goes, I was finding things that I ate when I was a kid. <laughs> it was like he was, he said there was a pipe that was coming out like, you know, that's attached and you could see all the things that were coming out of your ass. And the, like the lady was pointing out his diet and she was like, you know, oh, you need more fiber. And he's like, fucking tree trunks are coming out of his ass and Ugh. bark and tennis balls. Uh. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And you're looking through a tube at this water with all the... You know, the the particles. How much weight did he drop? Does he know? I don't think Gabe got... That's the thing about taking a shit. Shits don't weigh that much. No. Piss is way heavier. Yeah. Like, if you have to take a leak to gain weight, like, we learned that in wrestling. Like, a guy took a shit, and he was like, dude, I just took a massive shit. I bet he lost a pound. No. He lost, like, an ounce. Yeah. Shit is not heavy for some strange reason. But, like, if you're sick and you have diarrhea or whatever, like, you'll end up, like, dehydrated like a motherfucker. You drop a lot of weight. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the ways people die um, from dehydration. One of the primary ways people die from dehydration is diarrhea. Mm. It's very dangerous. Like certain diseases where you, where people just get rat, massive diarrhea that winds up it's it's one of the causes of death. It's because your body just gets so dehydrated, your electrolytes drop so low, you, your heart function doesn't work properly. It's a shitty conversation. <clears throat> it's a very shitty conversation. He had a big smile on his face before he said that. I knew it. He was setting it up. I saw it coming. <laughs> so, it's a float lab. The float lab. What the tank does is, um, first of all, it's real relaxing. Like your muscles loosen up because you're floating. You're like in that n- no gravity state like you saw in that picture. Yeah, everything is like, uh, you know, nothing's pulling on it. Like even here when we're sitting here, you know, gravity's pulling down mm-hmm. your spine. And there, everything seems to like lengthen up and relax. And when I get out of it, I feel so loose. I just feel just relaxed. And the magnesium, the salt absorbs uh, into your skin. And it's Epsom salt, so it's a, an excellent source of magnesium. Mm-hmm. Really healthy for, for your body, for muscle growth and development. And when you're in there, you don't have any influence uh, of your body like you're not the you, sometimes you get like an itch but that's really just your body fucking with you mm-hmm. because, because your body's like hey there's nothing going on here i don't feel anything my nose itches and you're yeah. like you start you, telling yourself that's your mind fucking with you yeah you're like 
you know, you just start, don't scratch whatever you do. But so the idea is that like, someone told me that it's, you, it simulates the same feeling as being in the womb or something. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. too. I wonder. But if your mother's yelling at your father and smoking cigarettes, I yeah. bet it's different. Huh. I think that um, what, it, what it does is it gives you a relaxation state that's unachievable without the tank. Mm. Because there's no, there's nothing touch. It's, it's an environment that is completely alien to the earth. When you lie in that thing, you literally don't see anything, you don't feel anything, and you're floating, which means you feel like you're weightless. You feel like you're flying. It gives you the feeling, the impression of like of like moving through space, like you're flying through space. It's real weird. Right when you get in there, do you feel like different, or is there like a panic that happens, or like you know, like um, you can. Some people get a little claustrophobic, but you just gotta relax. Nothing's gonna happen. It's just like laying on the ground. Mm-hmm. It's just the door. You, the, you just the door doesn't have a latch. You just push it. It opens up easy. You mm-hmm. know? I've done it so many times I don't have the panic feeling anymore, but there's a weirdness to it, definitely. Yeah. You climb in there, and I you know, I always I squeegee it because uh, there's always like a little bit of condensation on the, the roof, uh, the uh, inside uh, ceiling, rather, of the tank. So I squeegee that away. Otherwise, it'll uh, drip down your face while you're, while you're in there, which is annoying. And then once, uh, once I've done squeegeeing it, I shut the door. I go, here we go. And I just lay back and... And float. Yeah. And you will definitely, once you do it for a while, you will definitely have trippy experiences in there. You definitely have like some sort of strange psychedelic experiences that happen. But also, real good for sorting out things. Like say if you, you're like, man, I got to get my shit together. Let me go in there and think about my life. Mm-hmm. You'll go in there and you'll go, you know, I got to stop doing this. Or I got to stop hanging around with this person. Or I got to do more of that. Or I'm slacking off in this area. Like it's almost like a seminar on your life. Mm-hmm. And if I have uh, like jujitsu moves, it's great for jujitsu moves. Like I'll drill jujitsu moves in my mind. And the way I'll do it is I'll line the tank. And I'll go over positions as if they're happening in real life. Like I'll start off slow and like, you know, like if you were doing like flow drilling or something like that, like I'll start off like I'll like say, for instance, I'll do like a half guard sweep. Like I'll start off in half guard. I'll scoop my hips this side. I'll fight for the underhook. I'll get the I'll get the grip. I'll pull the guy in. I'll trip the leg up. I sweep. I get on top and then I'll, I'll do it as if it was a drill. Like if you're pr- performing a drill, but I'll do it all completely in my head. And I'll go over the motions first slowly, and then I'll do it fast. And then I'll go over, and then I'll do it like I'll I'll, I'll I'll recreate like the violence of it, like the explosion of it in my head. I'll recreate the resistance, and then once I get like one drill down, then I'll have counters to the drill. Like I'll go into it, but I'll lose the position, and now I have to you know reestablish another position. And when you do that, like that kind of mental training really shows up in in oh, the, yeah. in the gym like it really oh, yeah. recreates in the gym and i would imagine to be the same with striking i would imagine to be the same with tennis with anything i think mm-hmm. i think they've shown that recreation and visualization is as much uh, of a factor in the development and growth as actual training is oh absolutely absolutely I, that i do you do stuff like that? Yeah, I'm into that stuff a lot. Well, I know you're working with Vinny Shorman now, yeah, right? Yeah. Vinny's going to come on the podcast. I've been talking to Ian about it. We're going to work this out. Yeah, he's coming to, to uh, in June. He's going to be here for a couple weeks doing like seminars and stuff. So Yeah, you were cool. saying the last time you were here that he helped you. Yeah. That, uh, like, what do, what do you guys do? Like, and how often do you do it? We've done a lot of stuff. And then now it's like, it's, it seems to be, every every time I talk to him, it's like a new thing that... uh 
he comes up with it. He just, he's helped me so much in my life. That's not even, I don't even know if it's even about fighting anymore. It's just stuff that he's, uh, you know, he's done hypnosis on me. He's got me to the point now where it's, uh, we call it trance. It's not even hypnosis, but like he can start talking to me a certain way and I'm already in a different thing. And when I get off the phone with him, my mind's just going insane based off the conversations we had. It's really, really? it's really weird. It's, it's an amazing guy. Really good guy. I can't wait to talk to him. The mind is a motherfucker, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it really is. So that stuff you were just talking about right now is, uh, it's really interesting to me. The, I've done that with, with my fights, you know, like, uh, you know, watching a fight, you know, if how do I explain it, even like blocking leg kicks, you know, uh, when you can visualize it happening and your reaction to it, you know, in your head without actually seeing it or without actually doing it, I think uh, it make it plays it out to be so real. Uh, it's a good example. So uh, one thing we do is uh, I'll focus when I when I sign a fighter, we get booked for a, a certain date about four or five weeks out. All the time when I wake up in the morning, when I'm sitting on the toilet, anytime I'm alone, I'll f- I'll uh, think about 15 minutes after I've won the fight. 15 minutes after, I'm thinking as high def as possible. When the first time I'm doing it, it's not very high def. By the end, it's like it's so real. I can smell smell the room. I can feel the chair I'm sitting in. I can see the the my coach's faces. Who else is in there? What uh what they're saying to me? How I feel about myself? And the idea behind it is if if um, if you focus on 15 minutes after you've won and you do it over a period of time, it becomes so real in your head that it's like it already happened. And if it's already happened, how could you possibly have anxiety about something that your mind thinks already happened? You know, Whoa. does that make sense? But so is, like, is there a possibility that, you know, that feeling that you get? Um, I don't know if you've experienced this. I'm, I'm probably you probably have where you didn't get up for a fight because you thought that you're going to kick this guy's ass pretty easy. So you weren't nervous. Mm-hmm. And then when you got in there, you felt like off like you didn't you weren't performing the way like you would be like, say, if you fought a guy like Artem Levin, mm-hmm. who, you know, top of the food chain, you're you're going to be on your toes. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to be ready. Whereas you're going in there, you're like, I'm going to kick this fucking guy's ass. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and you like, you, it just seems like, damn, like this is not, I'm not firing right. It's mm-hmm. not, is that possible? Yeah. I mean, the I alleviation th- of anxiety is I, like a negative um, in some way. <clears throat> I don't know about that. I, no? I think that it could be. I think that that what you're talking about is something that Vinny's ultimately helped me with a lot. Yeah. Because uh, my, my problem is I... One of my problems, that's <laughs> so many problems. Uh, <laughs> one big problem is I always do poorly in that situation. When I'm, when I'm the favorite, I have a hard time. Um, it's not that I don't train hard for it. It's just something about, uh, I always, I'm that guy that rises to the occasion. The three fights in one night where it's, you know, how good you, you know, it's three rematches and two guys beat you. And that's, that's when I do really well. It's right. when no one expects you to win is when, when I really rise to the occasion. When, when people start telling me that, it's an easy fight or that it's, you know, I'm the favorite or whatever. I just really try and shut that out and try and convince myself that, you know, he's going to kill me and he's a really bad guy. Um, I don't know if it's about not getting up for the fight or if it's, uh, if it's, uh, you know, you just take the guy lightly or, w- or what it is, but I've always had issues with that in the past. A lot of people have issues with that. Taking a guy lightly is a huge problem and it's real common. And, and you see it in a fight, like maybe when a guy's the favorite, like I'm not necessarily saying that this was the case in the Cub Swanson-Max Holloway fight. Did you see that fight? Mm. 
great fucking fight. Max Holloway, man, that motherfucker looked good in that fight. God damn, it was an amazing performance by Holloway. But Cub Swanson was a big favorite leading into that fight, and he just couldn't get off. just did not seem like he could get off. And um, I think there was probably a few issues with the way he was training. He was doing a lot of um, boxing-specific training, and he even had a, a famous boxing coach. Um, I forget his name, Diaz, in his corner. Um, Pedro Diaz? Yeah. Uh, no, that's the guy from um, Miami. Yeah. No, this is the guy that uh, trains um, uh, Tim Bradley. He works with uh, a lot of, uh, I forget, doesn't matter. Point is, the guy was giving him like boxing instruction in the corner, and I'm like, he's dealing with a guy that's kicking him, yeah. throwing elbows and flying knees and spinning back kicks his way. Like, what the f- you know, like this is you got the wrong guy here, man. Mm-hmm. You need you need a fucking Matt Hume type character that's telling you like MMA specific shit to do. Um, so there's probably some technical issues with the way he approached the fight, but also it just didn't seem like if you saw him against like other fighters, like like Jeremy Stevens, who's a fucking murderer. You know, he's, he's fighting. He's a murderer. He's fighting another murderer. These two guys are dangerous as fuck. You know, he is sharp as shit because it's just deadly, dangerous fight. Whereas Max Holloway, you know, he had beaten some g- real good guys. But he was thought to be like a notch below Cub, and Cub just couldn't fucking put it together. And you, you know, you got to say, well, it was definitely a case of Holloway rising to the occasion, fought better than he ever fought before. You can't take nothing away mm-hmm. from him. But when you look at Cub, it just didn't look, didn't look right. Just couldn't. And you got to wonder how much of that is him coming into that fight as a prohibitive favorite. Like I think he was like three, four to one favorite. Well, it's like one guy is, you know. This is this is my big shot. This is everything. You know, he's focused on it like hundred percent. The other guy's like, oh, this is another fight. You mm-hmm. know, it's still a serious fight. I'm, I know it's, I still got to take it seriously, but the other guy is like going for greatness, and you're, you know, it, it's yeah, a, uh, it's a it's a weird balancing act. You know, so much of fighting is mental. Um, it's, you can have a phenomenal camp, and that last two hours before you walk out there, you can can blow it all. You know, so that's why I work with Vinny, and uh, you know, we're we're always finding new things to work on and you know i'm far from perfect but i feel like my game has, has come a long way since i started working with them yeah i really think uh, we discussed this i really think that mental coach is going to be just as important yeah. as having a striking coach just as important as having a grappling coach i mean you're going to have to have a mental coach it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a, just like you have guys have strength and conditioning guys you know that they work with on a regular basis you're going to have some sort of a mental coach that you work with on a regular basis i think it's it's going to be a, a really you know, it's going to be the next big thing here pretty soon. I think so, too. I hope it doesn't, though. I hope I stick to you know, just me. No one else uses it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would wonder if someone could do it where they have a microphone that pumps into a tank where uh, you lie in the sensory deprivation tank and it's mic'd up, which would be very easy to do. Mm-hmm. And as you're lying in there, like Crash has developed this system where he actually um, has a screen that's in front of you as you lie down. So as you're floating, the screen is floating above your head. And it's so low in its light emissions that you can't see the edge. You don't see the border of the screen. You just see the images. Wow. But because you're in, a, you're in an environment that has no light in it at all other than the screen, it's like this, these images are floating in the sky in front of your face. And in doing so, he believes because you have no distractions, like no physical distractions, you're not feeling the weight, you're not feeling gravity, you're not feeling sensory input, you're not judging space around you, you're just getting the images, you'll learn things quicker. 
because your body will have no no resources that it's demanding of the of the mind. What's the what's the what's on the screen? Different uh, documentaries, uh, different instructionals. Like he's got one that uh, they're working with. I think his idea is that like sports specific stuff, like golf. Like that you would absorb like information, like how like the rotation of the hips and, you know, especially doing things from a first person perspective and uh, and showing showing going to lay in there and do like straight BJJ stuff. For, yeah. Like, for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> work on your half guard. Yeah. That's work it. on the they get ups. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I want you to come down to 10th Planet and uh, and learn some shit from Eddie Bravo, too, with your yeah. long legs. I'd love like to. learning some uh, some guard stuff, even just. Learning how to hold on to guys in a way where they can't they can't hit you and they're not going to be able to, to get up. Or you'll get stand ups better, mm-hmm. which is a legit strategy in MMA. As long as they have stand ups, I don't I don't agree with stand ups. Honestly, think they should be removed from fighting because I think that if you're going to have MMA, uh, if you got a guy that can hold you down for five minutes, that's 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 what it is. You, you get in five minutes from now, you're going to be able to get up. And every fight starts, every round starts standing. You know, so you think that people should win fights based on not fighting? Like, no. By my, like, I just don't think that you should win a fight by your goal in the fight is just to nullify the fight. Like, if I can stop this fight from happening for three, three five minute rounds, then I win. I understand what you're saying, but I think that if a guy can take you down and, and hold you. you and control you, he's kicking your ass. Even if he's not beating you up the way you would beat a guy up, right. like if you had your druthers, you'd force guys to stand with you and you'd light them up. You have a giant advantage over 99.9% of the planet right. in MMA when it comes to kickboxing. Your, I mean, your ideal world is like get these guys to just stand with you. Mm-hmm. Let's Hey, let's just make an agreement. Fuck shooting. No takedowns. Let's just throw. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a giant advantage. And so other guys would say, listen, let's make an agreement. No, no kickboxing. Let's just, uh, let's just see who's the better grappler. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, get the fuck out of here. But for a guy like Ben Askren, that would be a really good agreement, right? Because right. he could take down most guys he fights. Ben Askren gets a hold of guys like, like uh, Douglas Lima, a fucking killer kickboxer, dangerous motherfucker. Ben Askren just ragdolls him, mm-hmm. ragdolls him, tosses him to the ground, and, and can do that consistently. So for a guy like that... Why would you? Have, why would a guy like that want to stand up? He could he could grab a hold of you, and you can't stop him from taking you down. If you watch like some of Askren's fights, by the time it gets to the third and fourth round, his opponents are like, "Fuck, this yeah. guy's going to take me down again, and I can't do shit." Mm-hmm. Well, that's a fight. Right. I mean, he is fighting, but he's fighting you his way. He's not. He doesn't have the kind of snap to his punches or kicks that you do. He doesn't have the the kind of arsenal of attacks when it comes to striking that a guy like you does. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Holding motherfuckers down and giving them noogies, punch them in the face, and they can't do shit about it. Mm-hmm. That's his world. And I think for fighting to be realistic, you've got to have guys like that as well. Like, a lot of people didn't like Matt Brown and uh, Johnny Hendricks, the last fight. Right. I loved it. I didn't love it because I wanted Matt Brown to lose. I loved it from a technical standpoint because you got a guy like Johnny Hendricks, who is a decorated All-American wrestler, and it just shows you. This is what happens when you fight a high-level wrestler like Hendricks that's on point. The motherfucker's going to take you down whenever he wants to, and he's going to be on top, and you're going to be eating shit sandwiches. And that's just the way it goes. This is the way it, and that's a real fight. If you want to fight in MMA, that's a real fight. Now, if Hendricks and Matt Brown fought in a Muay Thai fight, it would be a completely different fight. If Hendricks 
couldn't shoot for the takedown whenever he was in trouble, and he got stuck, or especially, forget Muay Thai, take it up, it's glory rules, where you can only grapple for five seconds, or you can only clinch for five seconds. Mm -hmm. Then you got a completely different fight. And then you got a fight where Matt Brown's just throwing elbows and kicks and knees and punches and just keeps coming at you. He's not afraid to throw a flying knee because he's not worried about getting taken down. Mm -hmm. He's not worried about just uh, blasting you with leg kicks because you can't grab his legs. You can't trip him and throw him down and get on top of him. You can only kickbox with him. Yeah, I agree. But I think that if you take the guy down and you just lay on top of him, that it's somebody's responsibility to, for the love of God and the fans <laughs> to do something and stand him up. Or like, you know, my last fight, you know, the referee's like, you guys got improved position or I'm going to stand you up. I'm like, okay. Yeah, stand me up, bitch. You're going to stand you up. Like, All right. We're going to stand you up. And I'm like, are you going to fucking stand us up or not? <laughs> or, you know, he's clinching against the fence. I mean, I think I agree with you. And that's, I mean, the way I obviously have to look at it is that I have to be able to stop him from doing that. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's the reality is I can't allow these guys to continuously do this because let's face it, that's what people are going to do. But I think that on the scorecards, if one guy gets dropped and then lays on top of you for three minutes and then... You know who wins that round? The guy that, that drops the other guy clean with a punch, or the one that lays on top? For You're talking about your specific my fight. specific fight. Yeah, well, if you want to judge, because I mean, mine's the only one that matters, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that one, right? Yeah. If you want to judge damage, for sure, you won that round, and you won that fight. If you want to judge damage, but the problem is they don't just judge damage; they also judge control. He didn't do anything to you once he got you down. I mean, he stayed active, but there was no moments where like you were in trouble. Mm -hmm. The moment where you hit him and dropped him was the most significant moment of that fight by far because the dude's consciousness was wobbled. His fucking legs gave out. He was on Queer Street. He was in deep shit, but he was able to clinch up with you and it was able to turn into a grappling match and survive. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it damage wise, yeah, that was the closest to him losing consciousness for sure. But MMA is about a bunch of shit. It's about controlling the moments. See, I personally think that Pride had it right. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think they had the best rules. I like the yellow cards. I don't like, I don't like fighters being punished financially. I don't agree with the yellow cards as far as like taking 10% of your purse. I think that's bullshit. But I do think that some stalling, like if guys are just running away and they're not doing something, you, you should be able to penalize them maybe a percentage of a point, like maybe instead of a full point deduction, maybe it's a percentage of a point and all that's Because I think the scoring system, 10-point scoring system is retarded. The only reason it exists is because it exists for boxing. Right. And it kind of works for boxing. It's a good system for boxing. But when you have MMA and you're dealing with takedowns, submission attempts, kicks, punches, elbows, knees, I mean... Most people, uh, if you don't know, if you've never watched Muay Thai, Muay Thai is judged very different than MMA and uh, very different than boxing. Like the clinch in Muay Thai is very important. Controlling the clinch is one of the most important things. Kicks are judged very highly in Muay Thai. I think the problem with Muay Thai in the U.S. is that it's refereed by Steve Mazzagatti and <laughs> other people that do, you know, the same guys. Like if you watch a Muay Thai fight in Thailand, the referee actually knows what's going on in the clinch. And if mm -hmm. there's not shit going on in the clinch, they break you. But Steve Mazzagatti will let you hold on. I mean, when I fought Simon, he would, like, I was talking to Steve. And he would, like, like Steve, you're going to break us? And he would just hold me against the rope for a long, long, long period of time. Right. And um, he does that consistently. So um, You need, like, a Paulo Tocha guy or something like that. Like, someone who's been, maybe not him. No, nah, not Paulo Tocha. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'd, Next topic. He's always been nice to me. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like someone who's maybe competed in Muay Thai, someone who's been around yeah, for just, a long time, you know, someone who understands Muay Thai. I mean, I think that, that goes in anything is that the people that are judging and the people that are, are refereeing in any sport, you know, should should know what the hell they're doing, you know? And Unquestionably. That's, that's important in any sport, you know? And uh, like with, I might sit here and complain about my fight and really don't care. But uh, Who was the referee? Uh, uh, Beltran. Yeah, he's good. He's good. Mike's good. Mike's very good. But three judges, three different scorecards. Mm, that's a problem. Yeah. One the one deciding scorecard, all three rounds to my opponent. That doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. That's so incorrect. I, my, what frustrates me about that situation is like I have to look at my record and deal with it. And I have to deal with the consequences, pay wise, sponsor wise, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, if I don't do my job, regardless of anybody else, if I don't do my job, there's consequences. But and. And all the athletic commissions on a regular basis, there's constantly mistakes and there's constantly people not doing their jobs correctly and there's no consequences for them. There's never any retro there's never anything but the fighter that you know has to deal with it. Yeah, that's Manny, a good point. Manny Pacquiao's fight with uh, Timothy Bradley. You know, mm -hmm. What was the consequence to that? Well what, whatever, one of the women whatever happened. One of the women who was a very controversial judge in that stopped judging. Uh, because of that fight and uh, there was one other fight that she judged as well where there was a lot of speculation about you know whether or not there was corruption involved mm. or just incompetence which is just speculation no one knows but she had a series of like really ridiculous scorecards right. on on championship level fights where you're like what the fuck like mm -hmm. how is this like for, first of all especially in Boxing. Boxing has been around for fucking hundreds of years. We're not talking about MMA, where there's just really not that many people that are really good practitioners in all the various martial arts that understand all the different positions. There's When you watch in boxing, it's pretty goddamn clear cut. There's yeah. punching, there's movement, there's defense. That's it. That's all well, it is. Like this, uh, this Floyd and uh, Mayweather fight. What they, did you think about that fight? Uh, I thought it was exactly what I thought was going to happen. Me too. You know? I mean, uh, and I'm not the person that hates. I mean, what drives me nuts is how many people have no clue about boxing and are all over like the internet now complaining mm -hmm. and saying their their side of the story. The fact is, is Mayweather is the best in the world of defense and not getting hit and hitting you and not getting hit. And the reason this fight was so interesting to everybody is they thought that Manny Pacquiao was going to do something different than what had happened in 48 other mayweather's fights and it didn't happen and everyone's pissed off at mayweather about it it's like that's the same shit he's done his whole career what <laughs> you should be mad at, at pacquiao but the uh the scorecards were messed up they mismarked the scorecards you saw this it's, no yeah they uh they thought that mayweather was in the blue corner or the red corner or the whatever what they, yeah they came out and there was the uh one of those they still gave it to mayweather they had the scores correctly but it was marked red versus blue it's on the internet. Oh, so they marked the wrong corner, the but wrong they were still corner, yeah. judging for Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of fucking shitty people that are involved in every sport. There's, it's, yeah. there's, you're always going to have that. There's definitely a lot of shitty boxing judges. But I just think that the, the, having a shitty boxing judge is almost less excusable than having a shitty MMA judge because there's so many fucking boxing fans. There's so many guys that have been doing it for so long. And if you listen to like... Harold Letterman on HBO, I very rarely disagree with that guy. Mm -hmm. I listen to his scorecards. He makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I hear what he's saying. You know, um, same Steve Farhood. Is that the guy's name that does it for Showtime? I think. Uh, I think that's his name. Yeah, I think so. Um, Sounds good. 
that the Showtime guys, same thing. I mean, they they disagree on a round or two here or there, but uh, their points are on. They 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 know boxing. They understand what the fuck is happening. Right. You know, they they they're appreciating everything that's going down while you're watching a fight. You telling me you can't find nine, ten of those guys that only judge championship fights? That's right. those are the only guys ever. Right. Like here's the list. These are the best in the world. Uh, at judging boxing, when you have a boxing match, these are the only guys that should be able, able to judge. Yeah, it's just there's a reason there's three three judges. It's because if one of you makes a mistake, the other two will fix it. But to have three judges have three completely different scorecards, what are we doing here? You know what I think we should do too, because of the fact that we have the internet today. I think they should be there should be a panel of uh, experts that you just have that are floating online, like say like. You know, pick out a bunch of guys, like a guy from Bloody Elbow, a guy from uh, SB Nation, a guy from uh, Sure Dog. Have, like, a bunch of guys who are real, legit fans, journalists, guys have been doing it for a long time, and have that be, like, a fourth judge. Mm -hmm. Like, say, if you're in a situation where, you you know, you got a close fight, um, have the three people calling at ringside, the, the, and then the one group of people that agree online. Let's say maybe 80% of them agree that this guy won, you know, and that should count in the, in the, in the scoring system. I think having three people is not enough people. I Look, think you should have a bunch of people that judge a fight. And then you get to a point where it's like, okay, you could question, or you're going to, uh, what do you call it? Like appeal the decision or mm -hmm. whatever. Nobody and ever wins those. Nobody ever wins, but the reason they don't win is the same reason why the police never get charged with murder when they kill people. It's because they protect their own. It's like mm -hmm. the head of the athletic commission writes you a letter and says, yes, you made valid points, but we need to support our our people because they don't want to say that, you know, our guy right. screwed up, you know, and that's uh, so the fighter has to eat it, you know. That is a real issue. And that's that's messed up, you know. It should be some sort of. You know, if you make a mistake, you have to pay the consequences or, or own up to it. But it's like when the judges or the athletic commission makes a mistake, it's the fighter that has to, that suffers from it, has to deal with the consequences. I just think it's wrong. There was a real issue with that with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. They ousted the athletic commission chamber. The the, the uh, head of the athletic commission has gone. Mm -hmm. When, when uh, you know, one of my Chairman, fights, right? I got, I got uh, swept what was questionably an illegal sweep and I got slammed on my head and the referee didn't see it and let me stand up walking the wrong way and then I got teed off on and they called it a knockout and I appealed to the athletic commission. I had three different videos with footage of showing that it was an illegal sweep and that the referee wasn't paying attention. It was like, no way, I'm not winning this one. And uh, Kaiser wrote us a letter saying, you know, although you made very good points, we need to support our athletic commission and nothing happened. Yeah, he's the dude. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring him up by name. Yeah. I don't think he's a I'll bad guy either, but Kaiser's a, he's a politician, you yeah. know, and that's why he's that's why he got ousted. And then my next fight, uh, I score a, a knockdown and a jab in like the first round, and then the scorecards come out, and two of the judges didn't count the knockdown. They just didn't count the the eight the eight point must system. What he won by one or I lost. He won by one point. It was like. Where's the? I forget what the score was, but there was there was no way he could have scored that many points. They would count the knockdown. That's that was in Nevada. Yeah, there's a lot of shady shit going on when it comes to judging. Just the idea that what drives me crazy is the idea that someone who is not a practitioner doesn't understand what's happening has never really been punched in the face probably their whole life mm -hmm. can judge a pro kickboxing bout like right. that. That's bananas. That doesn't make any sense. Like how how that guy get that gig? Especially jujitsu and MMA, 
Because if you don't understand what the fuck, like if you're, like say if a fight goes to the ground and the guy on the bottom is threatening with uh, submissions and the, the, the referee or the judge rather doesn't score it for him because he doesn't understand how close the guy was to getting tapped. And the guy on the bottom has a knee bar, but he's on mm-hmm. the bottom or an ankle locker or whatever it is. But yeah. he's on the bottom, but he's almost got it, you know, and the guy's wincing in pain, but he's on top. But the other person all they can see is the guy's ass from the mm-hmm. other side they don't know so that guy wins the round because he held you down for two rounds well we had a fight for um for those um judges to get screens for them to get monitors yeah to i, watch the I asked you about that last time that's really important yeah we had a fight for that that was big because i'll tell you man i don't see a lot of shit that's happening and i'm fucking as close as anybody alive right i'm right there i'm touching the floor next to the cage with my hands while the fight's going on and sometimes i can't see shit well it's 30 feet across the other mm-hmm. side of the cage right it's... i think the cage is too big too yeah we used to use a smaller one for the um for uh, the the WEC and for the Hard Rock mm-hmm. fights, we used to do fights at the Hard Rock, and we'd be in a smaller right. cage. I like that one better. I think it forces guys. I mean, you can still move. It's not it's not like you're fighting in a phone booth, but the idea that you could literally run. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could sprint away from a guy in the octagon. It's so big. Yeah. I mean, they're greedy. What, don't they want more seats in the arena? Yeah. Just shrink that bitch up. Put some more fucking seats. Why do they do that it? Cash. Why I don't do know. They, you know. I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe it looks more grand or something like that. I don't really I don't understand it. It's the smaller cage is plenty big. It's still really big. I think the Bellator cage is small. Like yours is 30. I think ours is 25. What are you trying to say? Well, Bellator's better? I think Bellator's better. What do you think about this uh, Reebok sponsorship shit that's going oh. down? This is a big deal right now in MMA that Reebok is the official sponsor uh, for the UFC. Fighters can't have independent sponsors when they walk into the cage now. And financially, it seems to be... Uh, a huge disaster for the fighters. I think that I'm glad I fight for Bellator, and you can sponsor me for Bellator if you'd like. And do you have management management that they can contact yeah, for, you this, could, you for could contact sponsorship? Ma- Mike, Michael Kogan. Oh, there you go. Yeah. He told me to say hello to you. Oh, tell me so what's up. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's whenever you see these guys complaining and, and uh, talking about the the difference in the amount of pay that they're getting, like that's not that's not good. It's not just not good. Yeah. Like all that stuff had to be worked out, I think, should have been worked out in advance. It's great to have a big sponsor like Reebok involved, but not if the fighters have to suffer. Yeah, I think it's just uh, when it came out, it was, you know, I think everyone kind of saw this coming. You know, Tim Kennedy did a, a tweet today and he said he was getting 2500 or something for his. And that's the only sponsor that you're allowed to, yeah. <laughs> allowed to have, you know. It's, uh, well, Brennan Schaub said he would be getting ten grand, but... Every single fight that he had before this, he was getting more than he was getting six figures, is what he said. So I mean, at least a hundred thousand. I don't know how much six figures you know could mean as much as nine hundred thousand for every fight. So six figures for every fight, and then now he's making ten grand. And that's uh, that's a big hit. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And it's based off the ranking, you know. So if you're, I guess, if you're Chris Weidman's going to get more money than that. Well, the, even the champs get forty grand. The champs, the best guys in the world, get forty grand. That's, uh, that doesn't seem like enough to me. No, it just doesn't, doesn't seem right. Um, I, I, look, I'm not a businessman. I'd be the shittiest businessman in the world if if I owned the UFC. The UFC would probably be filing for bankruptcy right now. I would never have gotten it to where it is. I would never done any any of the smart moves that these guys have done. I'm an idiot when it comes to business, but uh, I uh, I just don't. I don't like when I see f- fighters suffering financially. I don't like it at yeah. all. It's a, it's just a really weird thing. You know, it's great for for Bellator and the guys at Bellator because you know all of those sponsors that can no longer sponsor in the UFC 
got to go somewhere mm -hmm. come June or July. What do you think about a fighters union? I mean, I, I was going back and forth with John uh, Fitch about that today. And John Fitch, actually, he posted something. Let me pull it up because um, I was really surprised how what an intelligent thing. guy John Fitch is. I saw some of the videos he posted. like uh, He's very smart. Of him talking politics. I was like, God, I wish I could speak that well. Yeah, he's a, he's a very smart dude. He wrote... Um, I, I, I posted something about uh, MMA being illegal in New York because New York just uh, – there was a, a, an article that was posted about New York being the corruption capital of America, mm -hmm. more corruption in uh, New York than anywhere else. And uh, when I posted it, John Fitch said that – he said, no, the reason MMA is illegal in New York is because of Zufa's treatment of employees, both fighters and hotel workers – which is not re really true. Even if you disagree with the way UFC treats uh, <laughs> fighters or hotel workers. And w when they say hotel workers, they don't I mean like... I recant my intelligent comment. About I'm I think he's just saying that because, you know, he's he's upset. You know, I don't think he's, uh, he's not happy with uh, the way a lot of things went down. But uh, um, I think it's old school boxing uh, politics. It know? is, 100%. It's the, uh, it's the boxing commission in New York. They have no other athletic commission as far as kickboxing. They don't sanction kickboxing there either. They have, uh, you know, their own sanctioning body that's not a state-run thing in New York. So, yes. So there's no, you know, the benefit of having an athletic commission as a fighter is that you're guaranteed to get paid. You're guaranteed to have uh, health insurance like, for the fight if you get hurt or whatnot. And when um, it's not through the state, you know, the IKF, the what any letters you want to put together it's you don't have that same confidence and uh in new york it's only boxing they, yeah. you have the wka when you fight in new york and and a lot of states um that are too small to have the athletic commission but it's yeah it's it's uh it's boxing has been huge in new york for eternity and, and that's what they want you know it's also the culinary union the culinary when he was talking about hotel workers what he's talking about is the culinary the ufc this is the 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 long and short of it the ufc is owned by zufa zufa also owns the people that own zufa also own station casinos they own 20 plus casinos in vegas and they're non-union the employees voted for them to be non-union the union wants it to turn union because if it was union they'd make some uh, somewhere around like 15 million dollars a year just from the station casinos so they've had this campaign for years to try to get the ufc to acquiesce and become uh, st a union uh, casino station casino union casino so they have this smear campaign against the ufc and so that's what he's saying when he's saying hotel workers. That's what he means. He doesn't mean like the UFC shows up and starts beating up hotel workers. How does he know all this stuff? That's amazing to me. Tim Kennedy, my Twitter got hacked yesterday. <laughs> 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 he, he can say that without any irony whatsoever. Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love Tim Kennedy. He's a bad motherfucker. But uh, so John Fitch uh, posted about this thing, uh, MMAFA, Mixed Martial Arts Fighters Association. Uh, MMAFA is on Twitter. Uh, there's, a, I guess, a guy named Rob May, uh, Macy, M-A-Y-S-E-Y. He must be uh, in charge of it. And I don't think it's a bad idea to have some sort of an organization that uh, looks out for... Uh, for fighters and i also think that it's it's super important to have something like bellator like that is owned by viacom that starts to come up in the public's consciousness and become bigger and bigger mm -hmm. and have more competition yeah i think competition is 
It's the best. You know, the only any, way you get anything. a fight like Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather is you have two bad motherfuckers who are on rival promotions. They get together in Showtime and HBO, both got together and said, listen, let's make some money. Yeah. Let's put this fucking thing together. These are the two biggest fighters in the world. You're going to make 4.5 million pay-per-view buys. I mean, that's fucking insane. At 100 bucks. At 100 bucks. And nothing like that exists in MMA. And if Bellator had a champion, you know, if you become champion at Bellator at 185 pounds and it, it builds up where you're knocking dudes dead and then, you know, whoever is in the UFC at the same time, you know, Wyman or Vitor or Jacare or whoever the fuck it is, if it builds up in the public's consciousness, like this fight has to happen. It has well, to UFC take place. The UFC did with Pride years ago, right? Yes. Well, sort of. Sort of. Tried to, didn't really work. I mean, they they tried to make an agreement with Pride. And, you know, the UFC sent Chuck Liddell over there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Pride was supposed to send some fighters over Mm -hmm. here, but it never happened. They brought over Vanderlei. And Vanderlei and Chuck, you know, had that stare down the octagon. But it wasn't until years later when Pride was purchased by the UFC that the the fighters actually came over. It was mostly some Japanese fuckery. Those guys. I heard there's a lot of fuckery back then. Yeah, there's a lot of slickness. Those guys are slick. I mean, not in a good way, but, you know, they made a lot of money doing that. Yeah. You know what the, the whole Pride UFC thing happened? You know, do you know the story behind it? The UFC purchased Pride for $65 million. When they got it, they realized that all their contracts were invalid. They were all illegal. Uh, not, they, all they had was a library. They essentially had a library of DVDs and tapes, which... Good luck making $65 million off of that. And so then they tried to sell it, you know, or tried to, um, uh, to sue them, and uh, that didn't really work. I mean, good luck trying to sue someone in Japan. Right. You know, you, you got to keep flying over to Japan every couple of weeks for court dates. And, yeah. And on top of that. Just while to get they, an extension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While, they were, um, while they bought Pride, they were going to keep the Pride office open and have like, you know, they were going to start running Pride events in Japan. And they realized how much how hard it is to do like, it's mm-hmm. not easy it's not like you're just gonna like you would do an event in new mexico you know it's it's a totally different country i mean yeah. they have completely different laws completely different customs and the people that were working for them they were all while they had an office running the people who were working for them started putting together dream right so then, so then they, they they put together their own mma organization and started putting on their own fights it's fucking <sighs> chaos so UFC they just had bad contracts? Path. Or just, the contract just was legally shit? That's why Fedor never came to the UFC initially. The reason why Fedor wasn't a part of the Pride deal is the, the contracts were dog shit. There was nothing there. And that was, was probably air. a big, Fedor was probably a big reason behind buying Pride. Oh, yeah. yeah. How could you not want Fedor to yeah. come over? I mean, they tried hard to get Fedor. A lot of people don't realize that uh, how hard they tried. It was like, yeah, the UFC fucking cared about putting on the right fights. They would have had Fedor come over. They would M1 Global, who are the people that promote Fedor, mm-hmm. they wanted to have co-promotion rights with the UFC. But the problem is that's not like – they don't have a – there's no promotion there. Like it's just the management team of Fedor. Like you, they wouldn't really be promoting anything. They would right. just be glomming on and making – so the UFC offered them a big you know, percentage of the pay-per-view buys, a large chunk of money that you would get when Fedor fights. They wanted to be co-promotion. They wanted to be the UFC and M1 Global. Who the fuck is M1 Global? Nobody knows what that is. like three shows on Yeah, something. you're not talking about like Showtime and HBO. Or like Bob Arum and you know and Golden Boy Productions, right. two established companies. You're talking about one company that fucking no one knows, and one company that's the NFL of MMA. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make any sense. They offered him a fuckload of money, 
And then Dana always said, listen, you guys got to realize that this guy can lose. And if he loses, this ain't worth shit. Like, as soon as he loses, this is not worth anything. And then he goes to strike for us. And then Verdum triangles him, wraps him up, taps him out. And like, that's it. Everything just got weird. And then after that, Bigfoot beats the fuck out of him. And then after that, Henderson KOs him. That's it. There goes your there goes your big money. Yeah. It all went away. And there goes the dreams, man. Mm. The fucking fights that could have been with that guy in the UFC would have been amazing. Mm. But that's how it goes. Japanese fuckery. Japanese fuckery. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the way they do business is a lot of they'll say, uh, we will get together and have a meeting and we are interested in selling pride. And then, you know, then they get together and everyone gets really excited and there's all this publicity and they go, oh, we changed our mind, but we have a big event next week. <laughs> and then they put on this big event. Now they have all this publicity because they, the UFC is going to buy pride and then right. they, have, they put on this fucking gigantic show and it's very clever. They just have a different way of Did approaching Did anybody ever things. figure out what the microphone was about? Why do they have the headset? Why did the referee have a headset? So Jail he could talk. made some accusations by his Oh, he was saying that the... It was fake. Yeah, he was just fucking with fighters. I know, but it fucking makes some good points. Why would he have a headset? Well, there is a problem with some of the fights in Pride that were clearly fixed. Right. There's no doubt about it. There can be no doubt. You watch Mark Coleman versus Takata. If you don't think that that fight was fixed, you're an asshole. Well, and the K1, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Masato and Bukau. Like how, they almost killed Masato trying to get the win over Bukau. Did you see really? Oh, yeah. Like Bukau killed him in three rounds. Fight. And they give, oh, extra round. Really? And then he kills him in the fourth round. And then extra round. And you can see Masato like, what the fuck? Really? And like Bukau's just kicking the fuck out of him. And I guess uh, Masato had to retire for like eight months or something. Internal bleeding. It was bad. Whoa. It was bad. They always... Uh, That's Japanese a fight I missed. are kind of known for... Uh, Trying to get the the Japanese win. Yeah, yeah there's always going to be that. There's always going to be a little bit of that. But yeah, that's the, it's fun, man. The the, the glory early days of MMA mm -hmm. and kickboxing. And look, when you you look at that, like say, you know, they did they definitely did some fuckery, but they put K1 on the map and therefore kickboxing on the map on a grand scale. When you look at those K1 Grand Prix and they're in the Tokyo Dome in front of like God knows how many thousands of people, that was amazing. That was uh, that's how I fell in love with kickboxing. That was my my dream was always watching those those World Grand Prix. And then when Glory was like, "Oh, you want to fight in a one night tournament?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> waiting my whole life for this. Yeah. Well, I just hope that Glory and there's a big event that's going on uh, this Friday night. They're doing regular events on Spike. Um, I just hope that it can achieve the same sort of level in America that the UFC has mm -hmm. or that Pride and K1 had in Japan. And I just think if you look at the quality of the, the fights that they're putting on, mm -hmm. it's right up there. It's yeah. amazing. I think they're the best quality as far as the, the, the level of the strikers, the best quality we've ever had. Guys like you and Nikki Holskin and and. Mark DeBonk, there's like so many guys that are like at a super high level in, in, in glory right now. Yeah, it's really exciting. They're putting, I mean, the production value on their shows is really good. It's, yeah, I just, you know, I hope people keep tuning in or yeah. start tuning in. I know oh, their ratings have been a little questionable lately on, on some really big cards. And, uh, yeah, man. I they just need more they push. It. They need to yeah. keep doing. They need to keep doing it, and eventually, I think it's going to catch on. Guys like Raymond Daniels, Joseph Altolini. There's like, there's so many high level guys mm -hmm. that are fighting exciting fights. They're they're wild, exciting fights to watch. 
I just can't see it not working. I just think it just has to, uh, it just has to keep pushing, you know, mm-hmm. that's all it is. I mean, it's just, it seems to me like the, the product is there. It's just a matter of letting people know about it. Yeah. And yeah. then this, uh, you know, having it on spike is good too. Having that Friday night sp- fight thing every yeah. Friday night, they have f- sp- fights on spike, whether yeah. it's a Bellator event or a boxing event or a glory event. Yeah. If they can keep that up, that could be that could be really big. Yeah, it's huge. Those PVC boxing cards have been pretty awesome on there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Production value has been really good on that. It's been, uh, you know, they said boxing is dead, but it seems like there's a there's a lot of buzz behind boxing right How now. How can you say it's dead when they have you know, four point five million pay per view? But I'm looking forward to Canelo Alvarez versus James Kirkland this weekend. Yeah, that's going to be fucking crazy. Yeah. But I heard Kirkland. I, I realized that I watched the uh, you know the countdown show that they were doing about it, whatever they call it, twenty four seven. And uh, Kirkland didn't train with Ann Wolf for this fight. No, which is like, if you ever thought like a guy definitely should be training with a woman trainer, yeah. like in any in any other sport, if that ever happened, in a combat it? sport, you'd be like, what? But if you look at like the shit that Ann Wolf would make him do, she would get in a truck and she had a heavy bag attached to an arm on the front of the truck and then the truck would move forward at like a certain amount of miles per hour and he was forced to back up and punch the bag as he's backing up doing road work never seen anybody do that before never, no but That's... they showed it in the you know in the, uh, the 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 training montages and stuff and i was like that is a fucking great idea because yeah. you have to keep up you got it yeah the truck's coming your way you know, you got to back up and, you know, you can't take any breaks. Yeah. Like, you know, for whatever, ra- how many mount- rounds she's making him do or how many minutes she's making him do, as he's backing up, he's got to hit that fucking bag. And when he was with her, his conditioning was mm-hmm. on point, man. I mean, he she put him through hell. <laughs> but some dudes don't want to go through hell. Oh, they go through hell a few times. Like BJ Penn with Marv Rinovich. Yeah. He went through hell a few times. Yeah. And then he was like, fuck this, man. Yeah. I'm not going through hell. Yeah. <laughs> I had a strength coach a couple of years back that was awful, and then uh, <laughs> we stopped doing it. But uh, yeah, the I was really successful when I was with him. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, for sure, though. That's what it is, though, yeah. right? It's like this like this Nick Curson guy who trained uh, Rafael dos Anjos is one of the reasons why I can't wait to uh, talk to him. It's because when you put those guys through hell like that, the results are undeniable. Mm-hmm. But it's a matter of like. How much should how much should that replace skill training? Right. You know, like like here's a perfect example. Um, say if a guy like Rich Franklin had gone through a guy like Marinovich when he fought Anderson Silva, he still would not have been technically able to deal with Anderson striking. Right. Well, it wasn't Rich like wasn't uh, where he's training? Did we talk about that? Like he was. Uh, yeah, he had some pretty. He was intense. like one of the most in- intense, hardest training fighters at the time, or whatever. Yeah, he at the time. I mean, I don't know. And he was if huge it stands for middleweight. I mean, he was he big was boy. Huge. Yeah, he definitely was. But yeah, just didn't have. It was the clinch. Didn't have the answer for the clinch. That's a technical thing. You could have mm-hmm. trained all day, every day, and it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. That you're lacking in that area. You know. He also didn't have the answer standing up. I mean, even outside of the clinch. You know, when you see Anderson drop his hands yeah. and, and chuck and jive in front of him, my Franklin throws punches and kicks at air, and Anderson's just ducking under the kicks and looking at him like that's a terrifying place to be. Yeah. When you're standing there with a guy who he knows you can't hit him. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see his fight, Anderson's fight with Jorge Rivera in Cage Warriors? Cage Rage, whatever the fuck it was. Mm, and, and, no. The only one I remember was his fight with uh, Tony Franklin when he the back yeah. elbow in Cage Rage. That was gnarly. Yeah. It, he fought, he fought um, 
Jorge Rivera and he let Jorge Rivera punch him in the face over and Jorge is like known as a knockout guy. Yeah. And he punches him three, four times clean in the face and Anderson just staring at him, smiling. Like literally let him tee off on his face. He's so scared to do that. You know, sometimes <laughs> in the gym you can get, you know, stupid and do stuff like that. But like how what if that goes bad? What if you're yeah. like, Yeah, hit me and <laughs> highlight. Well, highlight Anderson and Weidman. I mean, the yeah. clowning well, around. Ultimately, what happened? Huh? That was the worst ever moment in Anderson's career and the biggest example of why you should never clown around in a fight. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was one of those things that you, when it's happening, you don't believe it's happening. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. What are we seeing? Like, what? Like, you almost have to shake your head. Like, what is this? Because, like, that's like what everybody wants down. to see. What's that? Like, like Nick, Nick laid down. down. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, motherfucker. He laid down and put oh. his hand on his head like he's taking a nap. It's so funny. Dude, I was slamming my hands against yeah, the table just, laughing. Somebody just posted a clip of it the other day and you can hear yourself <laughs> laughing. You can actually see me across this. Th- I can't tell if I'm excited or not, but I stand up and I'm screaming something. <laughs> that was a crazy fight, man. Yeah. It was weird being uh, being there for that. And then watching Anderson after it was over, realizing how much pressure was on him. Yeah. When he just laid down and started weeping. Yeah. Like, whoa. Like, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> the memes about this are awesome. All the memes going everywhere. <laughs> Look at that pose. <laughs> Don't stand up, homie. Oh, my God. He's so funny. He was so crazy. The goat and Anderson Silva. As far as like a dude that people love to see fight is you don't get much better than Nick. No. People love that. <laughs> <It's fucking literally. laughs> to this day, I couldn't believe he did it. And that's <sighs> after talking all kinds of mad shit. That was We the, all we, none of us knew that that was going to happen either. He probably didn't even know. Yeah. He wasn't you know, he was real respectful talking about him, you know, even throughout the whole camp, you know. I'd be like, "Oh, you're going to fuck him up or saying anything to him." And he's like, right. "Oh, I don't know." I don't know. I'm just going to survive. I'm just going to survive. And I'm like, you're going to kick his fucking ass. What do you mean you're going to survive? And then, <laughs> like, we're in the back, and he's like, said something like, oh, you know, I might, I might fuck with him or something. And I was like, oh, okay. You know? <laughs> we're out there like, what the fuck is all this shit? <laughs> it was awesome, though. It was great. And you could, we could see how much it was messing with Anderson right away when he started doing it. Like, you he see, fucks like, with oh, everybody's this is, this head. Effective. Yeah, this is really effective. But Nick fucks with everybody's head. He fucked with Robbie Lawler's head. You could really see in that Robbie oh, yeah. Lawler fight. Like, Robbie Lawler was used to just going berserk on guys. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Nick was like, what, bitch? Yeah. What, bitch? What's up, bitch? Yeah. What's up, bitch? Like, standing in front of his favor. You could see Robbie. Yeah, it was affecting him for sure. When Nick got into the cage, I'll never forget that fight. Because he got in the cage, and he looked over at Robbie. He starts going, stop! Stockton, motherfucker! Stockton, motherfucker! And and Robbie was like looking around, like what? What's happening here? Where, where's Stockton? What's where's this? About? Where's this going to lead? Like this is bizarre. Like it's just a totally different thing. What if Robbie would have been like Des Moines, Des Moines, <laughs> <laughs> Iowa, bitch? <laughs> yeah, it was um, a very rare moment in time. This is uh, a big card coming up this weekend, right? The yeah. Glory card. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Who's on this? I got it uh, here. Uh, clued up here. It's uh, Simon and um, Artem for the for the belt. And if you don't have um, Spike, you can watch it online. If you go to GloryWorldSeries.com, you could stream it for only ten bucks. And uh, Artem Levin and Simon Marcus. Artem Levin, uh, one of the best kickboxers on earth for sure. So is Marcus. Simon Marcus, one of the best on earth too. And uh, they're going to fight. 
Yeah, they're two really interesting styles, you know, having fought both of them. Artem is very much like a Floyd Mayweather kind mm-hmm. of, uh, very elusive. He'll score his points and then hold and kind of eats up the clock really well. Um, and then Simon is one of those just like bull forward, constantly coming forward, f- constantly trying to, uh, you know, having having fought both of them. Simon, when you're, when you're standing across the ring from Simon, you see somebody that you have to knock out, like – He's going to keep coming at me no matter what. There's no weakness in his mindset. He's going to keep coming until I knock him out. With uh, Artem, it's like supreme confidence. It's like a really, it's very uh, interesting standing across from both of those guys. And both guys have had a long career. I mean, you look at uh, look at the the records there: fifty four and one for Levin, forty two two and one for Marcus. And Simon Marcus, up until your fight, was undefeated. Mm-hmm. You knocked him out, and then he lost in China again after yeah, that as well, right? I knocked out in China. I think that was one of those things like we were talking about before, where he didn't take the time off after I knocked him out. I mean, that was a bad knockout. You face plant, you're out for a long period of time, you know. Um, and then he got he got rocked again in, in China right after. That. Who fought him in China? I don't know the guy's name, and he wasn't even a big, big name. It was a Chinese guy. I've been a Chinese guy fought him in China. Crazy. Go figure. What are the odds? It's like uh, a Russian guy fighting you in Russia. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and then he came back and and won the uh, contender tournament against Jason Wilness and uh, Wayne Barrett. Now Raymond Daniels is fighting on the card too. He's uh, an LA guy. Do you, do you train with him at all? Um, I was on. I did that World Combat League like six years ago. Uh, we were on the same team. I met him and got to know him a little bit then. Uh, we haven't trained together. That was a Chuck Norris thing? Yeah. Now, the Chuck Norris thing took place in like a bowl, right? Yeah. What did you think about that? I hated it. it hated was, it. It was terrible. I thought it was, it, was, it was really set up specifically for point karate guys to do well. And it was just like everything against like the kickboxer. Like, uh, really? We're wearing those pants, right? But underneath the pants, we have like the sport combat, super thick shin pads underneath the pants. Oh, really? So like, you know, your leg kick is, and it's a one round. It's it's three minutes and then you have, you know, 30 minutes or whatever until you come back out and you fight your your second round or whatever. So it's really hard to be effective with, with round kicks in general with a, a shin pad on. It's only one round, you know? The shin pad is a weird thing, but... It's not weird when you think about the fact that the guys wear gloves and that you also, like, I, I always wonder, especially in MMA, like, why do they have gloves on? Like, if you really, uh, we've been talking about this a lot lately, that if you wanted to lessen the effectiveness of, uh, of uh, like, punching techniques, one of the best ways is just remove the gloves. Right. Like, if you remove the gloves, you make guys fight barehanded, you get to see what, what's really effective and not effective when it comes to striking. Yeah. You well, still can kick guys in the head. You still can you knee only, guys in the head. you can only kick them in the head with the shin pad on. Like, imagine if you... You mean in, the, in world with, with that combat. world combat. Yeah. Like, imagine punching somebody in the leg with a glove on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It like, takes away all of the effectiveness to it. You it's different to when you're hitting somebody in the chin, you know? But you have right. to hit somebody really fucking hard with a punch to the leg to hurt them which is essentially what that shin pad would be doing for it i just i hated the rules i hated that circle threw me off big time being in a circle with no ropes and then you're you know you get into an exchange and you step back and you would be on this this slant you know yeah why did why does everybody have to wear those pants uh was something about the sponsors that you know i got a i got in a lot of trouble because i had like sponsors like handed a tattooed on my back because they wouldn't let us put anything on the pants <laughs> and after the first fight the director or whatever comes in the back and he's screaming and yelling chuck norris is really mad at you but i'm like oh chuck norris is mad at me <laughs> is he mad <laughs> he, he was mad? like really pissed off that i was you know taking advantage or something i don't know did they not state it in the rules i think it was in the rules but 
that you couldn't do it, or they said you couldn't you couldn't have anything on, you couldn't alter the uniform, you couldn't put patches or anything oh. on the uniform. And I'm like, well, I had so, a tattoo on my back, it's like per- permanent marker. That but was so a, the guy's like dumping water on me in the back and like scrubbing it. It wasn't even like he was trying to get it off; he was just trying to screw it up so my sponsor would be, you know. Was, did it work? Uh, no, I, I got paid. I didn't. I don't know. Did it mess it up at all, though? I mean, Hannah tattoos. Oh yeah, it, it, it messed it up. Because it, it, it was like you got like Hannah. I think we went to like Venice Beach to get it done. Like before I left, <laughs> <laughs> and then like I'm in the hotel room and it's all like smeared and bad. And I'm like, hey, can you uh, cover this? Like the other guy on the team with a uh, sharpie. Yeah. Well, a sharpie might be even better than Hannah, right? Yeah. The things like that might last even longer. Yeah. So they were scrubbing it. And it, it, it was whatever. That was an issue with the UFC uh, once with Rico Rodriguez. He had some uh, Golden Palace. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That was back when they had online gambling. It was like mm-hmm. really popular. Didn't uh, Bernard Hopkins do that once too? I feel like guys were doing that in boxing. Boxing fights. happened a lot. Yeah. Yeah, but they stopped. Somehow they put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. And why though? Why I don't know. I mean, Maybe the UFC you're gonna ruin the man or something. It kind of does fuck with what you're looking at. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if a guy has sponsors all over his shorts. But if he's got like a big sponsor tattooed on his back, it just seems like seems kind of cheesy. Yeah, you know, like low, low rent, low rent. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to cut into a guy's ability to make money, but that does seem a little low rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, GoldenPalace.com. <laughs> back in the day, he's a fucking freak, huh? Forty nine yeah. years old, still fighting at a world class level. The alien. Fights against Kovalev, who's a murderous puncher. Yeah. Russians are a different kind of white people, huh? Yeah, yeah. They really are. What about this Golovkin guy? He's a motherfucker, Oh, dude. my God. I love that dude. I love him. Yeah. And he'll knock you out with shots that it doesn't mean... Vinny and I were talking to him about, about him the other day. Like, it doesn't look like he's trying to hit you hard, but, like, when he throws it all natural and loose, it's like he mm-hmm. knows it's going to knock you out. He's knocking people out with, like, body shots that don't look hard, look like they yeah. miss, and people are dropping. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, his left hook to the body is fucking devastating. One of the best in the business. I forget at it. who he fought, but he threw a right hand and it like it like looked like it slid off. Didn't even look like there was like penetration at all. And the guy's done. Knockout. I think it was two fights ago. He hit the guy with it. Yeah, he's a motherfucker, dude. Amazing. He's he's awesome. Yeah. He's really awesome. I, I love the fact that there's so many guys like that now, like him, Kovalev. Um, uh, Provodnikov. Yeah, Provodnikov. I love watching that guy. Savage fight. Russians, I love man. That guy fight. Oh, that fight that he had with Lucas Matisse. Jesus Christ, that was crazy. Yeah. Did you see the uh, urine sample after the fight? No. Dude, pull that up because you got to <laughs> see this. He posted a, an Instagram photo of his urine sample, and it looks like he poured Coca Cola into the cup. Like he was pissing just so dark from blood and you know uh, internal bleeding internal and bleeding. And, you know, a lot of, apparently not just internal bleeding, but when you have an unbelievably grueling physical event, like um, ultra marathons, like, look at it up there. That's his piss, bro. What? (laughs) No. Yes. Yes. Pull up the actual Instagram so you could see it and we could read it. Yeah, that's his urine sample, man. That is his urine sample. That's the urine sample that he... Uh, gave the athletic commission the post doping, uh, post fight. Because I've pissed test. blood before, but it was nothing that dark like that. It was like fucking orange. Well, I have a friend who did uh, an ultra marathon. Uh, my friend Cameron Haynes, uh-huh. and uh, he said the same thing that when uh, you when you do ultra marathon when you pee, it looks like Coca Cola. Really? Yeah. <sighs> it's like your kidneys are failing. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You're- 
Fuck. <laughs> yeah, Fuck. here it is. Sorry to all my friends. I lost tonight, and I felt I could have won this fight. I almost had him, but the fight happened the way it happened. And here it is. He's saying, uh, one more fight in my career. When I did my doping test, I had black urine. That one, The first one was against Tim Bradley. Black urine. Black urine. Fuck, dude. I think um, it's an endurance thing, too. It's just a kidney failure thing. Because the guys who have fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that's real. Yeah, it's totally real. Those guys who have rhabdo, rhabdomyelosis from uh, CrossFit and shit like that, it's one of the signs of it. You get black urine. But ultra marathoners, they all talk about it. Black urine. What's the difference between an ultra marathon and a regular marathon? 100 miles in a day, 24 hours. It's a 24 hour race. You run 100 miles. And you're just broken when it's over. I mean, why? Why do they do that? Prove they can do it. Yeah. My friend Cameron, who does it, is a fucking savage. He's just a psychopath. Is he like a really skinny guy? He's 170 pounds, pretty yoked, actually. Really? Yeah. He's a bow hunter. He's a professional bow hunter. And he got started getting into endurance training because bow hunting, you would think, is not a physical event. But what the physical event is, is getting to the animals getting up the it. mountains yeah. and packing out all the meat. So like you're going like I had this guy Remy Warren on the podcast recently and he was talking about how they had to pack out this uh was it a moose or an elk they shot? Moose or an elk, one of those. Big fucking animal. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he's packing out hundred plus pounds at a time, walking several miles back with a hundred plus pounds at elevation, going up mountains, down mountains, and then going back. So he over the course of, you know, X amount of days when they packed all the meat out, it took them it was 30 miles of walking with 100 pounds on your back up mountains. Wow. And he's like, after it was over, he goes like, I was just done. Yeah. He goes, I, I got sick. That. I was exhausted. My body was just broken. That's what you don't think about. And these yeah. guys that do it, like Cameron... Every year, goes elk hunting in the mountains, shoots a big elk every year, has to carry it out. And so he does all these crazy workouts, and one of them he does, he takes um, one of these, uh, like a meat backpack, they call it a Tenzing backpack, mm -hmm. and uh, he puts on, puts a 135-pound rock in the backpack, and he'll fucking hike up hills with this fucking rock on his back. Miles and miles. Man, I didn't realize how spoiled it. We used to just go to my buddy's uncle's property and then you know, we hike a little bit and then we'd shoot the thing and drag it to where he could get to it and call him and he'd bring a fucking four-wheeler and drag <laughs> the shit out and we'd hang it in the barn yeah that's uh that's the easy way yeah and it spoiled well that's a that's the way most people do it tree yeah. stands yeah you know but when you go for elk in the mountains the the big elk oftentimes they're they're hard to get to they're mm. they're smart they're not going to hang around near your house Mm -hmm. They're gonna go up in the mountains and they're trying to get some elk pussy and you gotta you gotta sneak them sneak up to them and then you gotta call them in and and then once you shoot them then you gotta cut them up and and drag them out of there. Yeah, that's that's fucking crazy. Yeah, so that's why he does ultra marathons. He sort of got into running and fitness because of that and then escalated. He's I just, just asked if he was skinny because usually those marathoners are like super. You know, the, all the triathlete guys I know that are real pull up thin a, too. pull up a, his Instagram because he's got a bunch of pictures of him. Sexy bitch he likes to show his muscles. Yeah, he's all these. He's just he's an animal. Forty-seven years old, works full-time job, trains every day, every fucking day, runs every morning, lifts every night. He's a fucking animal. Hmm. That's him. 
I would never say, think that was even a marathon guy, let alone an okay. ultra marathon. He just ran the Boston Marathon under three hours. He did two two hours and fifty minutes. But yeah, he's he's an animal. Huh. Just killing shit, eating wild meat. That's a big part of it too. Yeah. It's like like if you see like pull up a little bit from up there above there. Yeah, that's him in the marathon. But there's a picture of his legs. If you go keep scrolling up, 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 not down, up. Okay, go down a little. There's a yeah, right there. Like you see, like hmm. the fucking veins this dude's got in his legs. He's using some sort of massaging tool, hmm. but that's him. He's just a driven dude, man. I would have never thought that was a marathon guy. I know. Was you'd be amazed at the kind of fitness that you need to have just to hike eight hours a day in the oh, mountains. That sounds. We're talking about a lot of stuff that just gets really depressing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. A lot of a lot of work out there. There's a lot of things that people would like to do, but it's just too much work. Yeah. And I I'd probably say that what you do for a living is at the very top of that list. Yeah. And you're looking at this guy carrying, you know, carrying elk steaks and yeah. running up hills and like, "Fuck that." Yeah, Meanwhile, he'll be looking at you fighting three times in a night yeah. going, "Fuck that." Yeah. No, fuck that. Yeah, everybody wants to eat, but few are willing to hunt. That's mm. what, yeah, look at that. He's got a pack full with meat and giant-ass fucking antlers carrying that bitch out there. I used to hunt all the time when I was growing up in Ohio. Yeah? Deer hunting all the time. It's been a long time. Best meat for you, man. No better meat in yeah, the world we were, than wild game. I was broke. My brother and I were living, in this, this, living together, and we were, you know... Every dollar was spent on like cigarettes and beer, at that age. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like 17, 18, 19, I think. And uh, I guess I was younger than that, 17, 18. And uh, we would go uh, hunting every year, and there'd be like three or four of us, and we'd all get a deer, and we would chop up like every little piece. And we, I remember having like deer kebabs like for a whole year. We were living off the deer that was in the fridge. That's good times. It's great for you, though, man. Mm -hmm. So good for you. Do you ever get a hold of some now while you're training? No. Uh. I'll get you some moose. I got yeah. some moose for you. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Moose is tough. Hell it's tougher yeah. than yeah, deer. Yeah, I see your post. You're quite the chef on the, with, the, with that. I love it. Yeah. It's fun. Like last night, man, I was coming home last night from the comedy store. I was driving home. It was like 1230. I was kind of tired. I'm like, oh, I could just fucking slip right into in and out right now. And ooh, go, man, nope. I said, just go home. Because I knew I had some defrosted moose in the in the refrigerator so i went home cooked some yeah. moose steaks and some kale fuck in and out look at that oh so good no dude that stuff gives you energy too when i eat that there's something about moose i think something about those big athletic very lean animals i feel energized when i eat the meat that doesn't seem that. to make sense could see that i don't know if they really have a an accurate account of all of the properties of various different kinds of meat you know, I would like to see, like, if there if there's a way to do some sort of double-blind, placebo-controlled effect test on the difference between eating elk versus chicken or the difference between eating, you know, alligator versus beef. I, mm. I really would like to know. I, I really I wonder what the fuck is happening because I try to look at it really objectively. Like, I try not to, like, maybe I'm, this is a placebo effect. Maybe I'm fucking with myself. I don't think it is, though. When I eat moose like more than any other animal i've ever eaten there's something about when i eat it i, I feel like ah, i just feel yeah. like fucking charged up man i don't know what it is i've heard of my i have a buddy of mine who uh was lifting 
He's a he's a he's a big fitness fanatic too. And his wife shot an elk, and uh, he was eating nothing but elk for months. He's like, dude, I'm making all these fucking gains, and I gotta think it's connected to this elk. He's like, I've nothing but elk. You know, I've, he's, he doesn't have a lot of money. He's like, we've been eating nothing but elk for like the past two months. And he goes, and I've gained like five pounds of muscle. I mean, there's, there's something to that horse beef thing that Overeem was talking about. Maybe. I mean, obviously he's on whatever, but like yeah. the fucking horse beef thing. Maybe it is. Well, a horse is kind of the same thing. You're right. talking about super lean. Animal, super athletic. Yeah. I mean, an animal that jumps over trees with you on its back, you know? <laughs> That's a motherfucker. You ever had horse? No. There's a place called Joe Beef in Montreal. If you've never been to Montreal, if you ever go up there to train at TriStar or something like yeah. that, the best fucking restaurant on earth. Yeah? Yeah, it's in Montreal. I took uh, my pal Tony Hinchcliffe there uh, last week, and uh, that guy serves horse all the time, and I've had it there twice. It's good? Really? Yeah, it's real good. It's weird. Is that gamey or no? No, no, not at all. <clears throat> It's weird that you're eating a horse, but I mean, is it? Is it? I mean, it's weird to eat a pig. You know, go watch Babe, and then have a, have some bacon. Well, that and pigs like waller and shit. Like they live in like three feet of shit. Like mm-hmm. eat, eat <clears throat> sleep, and shit. So that's pretty that's not good. Gross. That's right? gross. It's nasty. You ever have a wild pig? No. Looks different. Yeah. Yeah, it's dark. It's weird. Like <laughs> the flesh is dark. I cooked a wild ham the other day. <clears throat> See if it's on my Instagram. I pulled up. Uh, pulled. Yeah, it's on my Instagram. Is a wild ham from about three or four weeks ago, <clears throat> but it's kind of like it's a, different than like boars, or it's the same. Well, boar is just male, you know. Like uh, if you shoot a male, uh, a male bear is also called a boar, huh. and a sow, pig, and a sow bear, they're called uh, huh. the females called a sow. So when you get wild boar in a restaurant, they're kind of bullshitting you. It's not really wild. It might be wild sow. It's wild pig is what they should say. Right. But it sounds cool to say, we're going wild boar hunting. Yeah. You're going wild pig hunting. I thought that, but do all pigs have like the fucking. Yeah, there it is. See, that's what it looks that? like. See up there? That's what, that's, that's wild pig. That's a female. As a, a, a female that I shot at this place called the Tahone Ranch. It's about an hour, hour and a half north of here. Hmm. It's fucking delicious, dude. Yeah. It's so good, and there's very little fat on it, and compared to domestic pig, much much less fat. You got like a giant freezer home just full of shit. Two of them, shot, yeah, two huge That's freezers, awesome. big commercial freezers. Yeah, well, I I kind of decided like when I started getting into hunting, I when I, the first time I went hunting, I was like, I'm either going to become a vegetarian, or I'm going to become a hunter. Like, let's see, like how I feel like after I shoot oh, this after animal. You shoot it? Yeah, I might feel like an asshole. Maybe I'll just stick to only fish. Never really felt bad about fish. They don't even take care of their babies. They shit them out and run away. Right. You know, they, they drop Fuck the fish. eggs. Fuck fish. The, the male comes off, jizzes on the eggs, and then they bolt. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the idea of mammals, like mammals are the issue. Yeah. Um, so I decided once I did it, like, I'm going to try to eat exclusively in my house only wild game. I don't really totally do that because occasionally I'll go buy some bison or something like that from Whole Foods. Almost exclusively in my house, I'm eating wild game. Hmm. Like tonight, I'm having moose stew. It's cooking right now. It's on the slow cooker. I left the house uh, this morning. It was on, and it'll cook for like six hours. Have you always been like into cooking, or is it just something you started with and you got 
into uh, hunting? No, I've always been into cooking some things. Like, I'm really good at making steak. Yeah. I'm, I'm a really good steak cooker, and I, I, I cook pasta, and I cook vegetables, like real simple stuff. Mm. You know, I'm not making, like, quiches or anything elaborate, souffles or anything that right. requires, like, a, a deep cooking knowledge. My skills are limited, but I know how to do what I know how to do, you know? You could throw some steak on the barbecue. I'll, cook, I'll the, kick the fuck out of the barbecue steak. the fuck out of yeah, some steak. That's, that's, I know what I'm doing. That's about the extent of, you know. Of These can foods do. contain the best natural sources of creatine. Uh, venison, wild game. Huh. huh. Wow. Experts agree the best animal source of creatine is wild game. Wow. So there you go. My question's yeah, answered. There you go. Venison, elk, bison, and buffalo. What about moose, bitch? Moose is the same as... It's got to be on there. It's, it's 100% on there. Yeah. It's probably just harder to get because there's no, there's no commercially available moose. You can get commercially available venison, elk, buffalo, and bison, which, by the way, are the same animal. I don't know why it's redundant. Uh, game meat, unless it's a different type of buffalo, like this water buffalo. But when you talk about the American buffalo, you're talking about a bison. Um, hmm. Next best source is free-range meats, which includes turkey breast, chicken breast. I just shot a turkey. Shot a turkey a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. That's that's interesting. It, that tastes different. You shot it in the body. You shot in the head. Shot in the head. Yeah, you're supposed to shoot the head, right? Yeah, if you or shoot it in the body, you destroy. Stick it out, yeah, yeah. You're spitting out spitting little spitting out buckshot pellets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's a dirty trick, man. You you put out a rubber turkey. You put out a rubber female. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start making noises. Making like, noises. Oh, boy, would I like some cock. <laughs> <laughs> And then they come over looking to give some cock, and yeah. boom. Boom. Blow his fucking head off. Yeah, they don't die easy. You should feel bad about that one. I mean, that's... No. You, no? no? No. Birds. No? Birds can suck my dick. Birds and fish. Yeah. Birds, uh, they, well, at least they lay their eggs and then sit on them. So like they're like one step above. Yeah. And they're kind of like... I have chickens that I don't want to kill. You know, they're like pets. Hmm. But if shit goes down, the power goes down... I'll kill them before I kill my dog. That's for fuck sure. Yeah, right. Those chickens are getting it. <laughs> but they're kind of, um, they're pets, you know. My my daughters will pick them up and hold on to them. And right. They're cute, you know. And they're, Are they know, nice? Yeah, they're friendly. Yeah. We've had them since they were babies. I mean, we hatched them. I mean, not hatched them, but we got the hatchlings like days after they're born. The way it works is they actually send them through the mail, which is kind of fucked up. They do it through the U.S. Post Office. And the it's egg? A, no. No, the chicks. When the chicks are born, they pack them in special boxes and they send them. They're, the boxes have like air holes in them and they send them one day air huh. and it gets to you, you know, express mail, whatever it is, UPS Express, whatever the fuck they call it. It gets there and, uh, you know, they give you an alert like, hey, it's going to be coming within one day. And then, you know, the, these animals haven't had any food at all for 24 hours when you get them. And you get them, and you, you give them some food, and you, they're little these little tiny things, man. You have to incubate them. You, they, we put them in this um, large box with a heat lamp above it, so they're in this like little chicken container box, and you know you feed them, and it's it's really kind of intense. Huh. Yeah. What else you got? You got a monkey or anything? No, that? no monkeys. No? <laughs> There's a, I have a an indoor courtyard in my house, and. While I was on Fear Factor, when I was losing my fucking mind, while I was in full-blown losing my mind, I was uh, actually thinking about filling, putting a roof over the indoor courtyard, putting thick glass walls all around it, and um, putting uh, like crocodile monitors in there, and like feeding them rabbits, like having my own Jurassic Park. 
Hmm. Like having like a little opening, throw a rabbit through there and watch uh, the crocodile monitors attack it and devour it. I'm like, come on, that would be the dopest shit ever. But the problem is those motherfuckers, if they get really big, you can't really stop them. Like yeah. if they want to attack you, they'll get like seven, eight, nine feet long. Yeah. And also their shit is toxic. Like their mm. shit is just disgusting. Mm. So I was like, who's going to clean their shit? I'm going to have some dude come over the house and clean their shit and like get eaten by the fucking alligator. Well, it was a crocodile monitor. Have you ever seen one of those? No, it's a monitor. Check it out. I thought you were talking about a crocodile. No, it's a, it's a, a giant lizard. A really oh, freaky looking yeah. giant predatory I, I lizard. Those. I have seen This that. is a, a crocodile monitor. Pull one up, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't for the shit, I would have been like, oh, you be <clears throat> fucked up, Joe. You should have got one. I know. Well, I came real close, dude. Yeah. I was pricing. I was talking to contractors and everything. See, like, look at that one of the rat in his mouth down there. Right there, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> She always thought it'd be fun to have like a piranha tank. I had just that. Throw a fuck, yeah. I had a giant piranha people tank. People throw steak in there and watch them go nuts. No, the steak's not the move. The move is goldfish. You get to watch the attack. I used to go to the supermarket or the uh, pet store every week, and I would get a uh, large bag of goldfish because I had. I want to say I had 30 piranha, allegedly, because they're illegal. Allegedly. This is a made-up story. I'm just yeah, telling you. I'm making it up. This is for entertainment yeah, purposes Yeah, this is for entertainment only. purposes only. And uh, I also had a skeleton, a human skeleton in there that I purchased online uh, from, like, a medical supply thing. Like, you could buy a human skeleton, which I thought was fucked up. That's fucked. It's so fucked up. That should be illegal. It totally should be illegal. I had it, you and it should be illegal. a fucking dead body in your piranha yeah. tank. So the bottom of the piranha tank was these skeletons, like a, a skull and shin bone and some other bones. And people would come over and they would look at it and then they would look closer and they'd be like, is that a fucking real skeleton? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a real skeleton. Did you kill somebody and throw it in the tank? Like, oh. Joe's house is like the equivalent of like Willy Wonka chocolate factory. <laughs> for children. I can't, I'm definitely coming over next week. <laughs> for sure. Male children. Now, now that I have daughters and everything, it's all feminized. They've ruined my whole existence. But uh, not really. But I mean, my mm. my 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 male sanctuary has now been feminized in an extreme way. I mean, I had pit bulls and fucking piranhas. I was looking to have a reptile sanctuary. But um, the piranhas were fun. But you know what's more fun than the piranhas? Mm. Turtles. Turtles are motherfuckers. They're way more vicious than piranhas. And you look at them, they're like, they look, look kind of cute and everything like that. When turtles are hungry and you feed them goldfish, I would feed the goldfish uh, to turtles as well. Mm -hmm. They're way more entertaining. Really? They're way more entertaining than piranhas. They're fucking vicious bastards, man. And they would grab them with their paws. They would they use their, their little fins. They'd grab them with their fins. Hey, look at that turtle. What is he eating? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like a tomato or something. Yeah. You want to see. though? That's not a turtle, though. That's a tortoise, I believe. What, see if there's a video of turtles eating goldfish. And what was crazy is like, well, these are actually uh, turtles eating goldfish. T they're actually legal. You know, or piranhas, since I didn't have them because they would be illegal. Piranhas are illegal. There was a video of like this lady in Thailand. I think it was Thailand. And she was like fishing for piranhas. She had like fucking some sort of gizzard or some kind of meat or whatever and she would dangle it in the water and the water would start going all crazy and then she would pull it out and there'd be all these piranhas hanging onto the meat yeah look at them look at this turtle 
swimming around, and they would swim, and they would just plow into the, the pile of goldfish and snack on them. And when they get a hold of them, they use their little fucking hands, too. They grab with their little hands. I hope this guy gets one so we could see it. But they fucking ma- yeah, hey, mangles them. Look at them. Oh, my kids are getting turtles. Oh, dude, they're fun For to sure. watch, man. But you got to be careful if your kids do get turtles because they develop all sorts of funky diseases from their shitty water. You got to clean the fuck out of the tank with those cunts. Because mm. uh, look at these. They're tearing them apart, man. They're mangling these goldfish. It's fun to watch because you realize, like, these things are dinosaurs, man. Yeah. They haven't changed for 100 million plus years. So look at that dead goldfish just fucking snacking on them. Give me here, bitch. That's awesome. And how often does this happen? You know, um, snakes, it's like You feed fucking... them every couple days. Yeah? yeah? Awesome. You feed them every couple days. But the, uh, the thing is you got to be real careful with uh, touching the water and then, like, touching your face or eating something like you can get diseases like my wife made me get rid of them when she got pregnant because right. uh having babies and being around that stuff like you right. can you can definitely get sick that water gets real dirty they're dirty animals mm. they they shit it and they fucking it gets it gets funky quick because they're pretty big you know you're dealing with something that's several inches long just shitting in this tank and i've always i've always wanted a monkey <laughs> you know and then my girl's like you have two kids and i'm like ah my grandmother had a monkey. Yeah? Yeah, it wasn't good. What was that movie with Clint Eastwood where he had the fucking- Every Which Way But Loose. Yeah, had that he orangutan. had orangutan. Oh, Frank or whatever is his name. Like, Clyde. Clyde. Right turn, Clyde. Oh, yeah. And Clyde would, Clyde would punch people out the window. Yeah. I want a Clyde. <laughs> Big idiot. That'd be awesome. Yeah, until it until decided- Until he gets pissed and rips your fucking arm off and beats yeah. you to death with it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all, all that before. good stuff. Look at it. And I heard they like throw their shit. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you just got to be nice to them. I'm sure if you're nice to them. Right. But you have to be around them all the time. It's like having a baby right. that never never stops being a baby. See, somebody was telling me that they had, I mean, it wasn't that kind of, I forget what it was called, but it was like, they get about, it was like a little outbreak monkey, mm-hmm. whatever that's called. <laughs> and uh, that uh, she was telling me that her dad had bought one off of some people that was like, uh, it was already full grown and it loved the dad, but it hated, like the females get really possessive over the males. Yeah. And, uh, it hated her, and uh, you know sometimes she'd be cool or whatever. But like sometimes she would like attack her and scream and fucking like scratch and shit. Oh my god! This little out- that movie kind of ruined it for me. Outbreak. Those- that's not the one I want. I want that one. <laughs> I want Clyde. I want the nice guy. Well, chimps. I thought chimps would be cool to have until that lady in Connecticut. Right. Her friend came over and ate her friend's face. Ripped a fucking door off the car. Yeah, that's like the same thing. It's like it was jealous that this woman was going to be spending time with his girlfriend, who mm-hmm. was the wife. The, the 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 owner rather that was his in his mind that was his girlfriend right because he used to hang out with her that he would the lady would give the chimp wine she'd give him Xanax she gave him Xanax <laughs> crazy bitch yeah type of crazy bitch that's gonna have a chimp and have him walk around with diapers on is the same type of crazy bitch that's gonna give a chimp Xanax yeah the chimp is wearing diapers did you know that by the way huge chimp two hundred pounds imagine a chimp as big as you dude but only five feet tall. Just fucking, it's crazy. Just yoked and just. There's a video. They can a, rip a fuck like they can rip your arm off. Oh like, yeah, rip your arm off and beat you with it. This table, this solid oak table, smash this fucking thing to pieces if it wanted to. The amount of strength that they have. Look at that. What the fucking fuck? <laughs> that, that's like Vanderlei Silva when he was fighting in Pride totally. when he fought in the heavyweight Grand Prix. Totally. <laughs> It's totally. even that's no, you know what that is? That's Husamar Pajares after he did a cycle. Yeah. 
Jesus Christ. But like 50 times stronger. The physical strength that those fucking things have is off the charts. Like you can't even we can't even imagine. We don't even we don't even know what the fuck that is. I still want one. I, mean, I, just still want one. <laughs> I love like gorillas. I love gorillas. I've like I just I don't know. Well, that was my other thought. I have this area of my yard that's a uh, one acre yeah, blocked that, off I want area. That fucker right there. Yeah. Or that. Other oh, one. look at that yeah. gorilla! Jesus fucking Christ! He's yoked. Awesome. Or this guy. Who's this? Look guy? at that. That's not real. Right that's a fake gorilla. Yeah, Jesus Christ! The fucking the, imagine that murderous motherfucker trying to bite your dick off. Mm -hmm. The physical strength that those things have too. It's not like a man who's built like that. Did you see the one with the look at, look at the fucking arms on that thing? Christ! Awesome. You see the one? Um, look at the sack on him too. Holy shit! Do you know that uh, ball size is directly determined by the amount of promiscuous females around you? Really? Really? Yeah, when you see an animal with giant balls, that means he's around hoes. You can't huh. trust these hoes. You gotta have as much sperm development as possible. Have you seen that video of that fucking guy from like Ethiopia or somewhere? Has like hundred pound testicles. Yeah, there's like a <sighs> bunch of dudes like that. There's a, a guy in America like that for a while. Ugh. You see the um, in that picture? There's a hairless bear. I mean, they're bad enough. You got to carry them around with you all the time anyway. But hundred pounds. <sighs> I don't usually bother me. It doesn't no. bother me like my regular size balls. No. I don't feel the weight. Mm. But maybe you got bigger balls than you do. It's like luggage. You, do for a you can never put it down. You just got to fucking. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm surrounded by hoes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't trust these hoes. Can't trust these hoes. Like, uh, pull up that picture of that hairless bear. What the fuck is that, man? It's funny. Somebody posted this today. It was uh, 15 of the scariest bald animals or some shit like that yeah that's um how weird animals look when they don't have hair that's a sun bear i don't know what those things look like with hair it's not a uh a black bear well, look at that one up there the one the far not the far right but the one next to it keep going yeah right there look at that fucking thing jesus christ that's a black bear that's a bear yeah because that's in orlando so that's a, a that's a bear with mange mm. creepy fucking animals man jesus christ yeah. How weird. Nature's weird as fuck, man. If bears didn't... What is that? Is that a baboon? Oh, my God. That's a hairless baboon. Oh, Christ. What you know, a monster. They can't have... is a hyena. Have you seen those fucking <laughs> things? And like, the Africans have them like, on giant leashes, like they're fucking toys or uh, yeah, pets. They put muzzles on them and those shit. Those gnarly. Big chains on their necks. Hairless hyena? Is that real? Well, that's what they say a chupacabra is. You know, the chupacabra, like they're always like saying, oh, we found a chupacabra. It's a real animal. What a chupacabra is, is a coyote that has mange. Hmm. Look at that fucking monster. Look at that thing. Jesus Christ, those are scary. Yeah. They, those and things they have some of the huge. There's huge. a picture somewhere like this African dude walking one, and it's like enormous. Go back to that picture, the mouth open, Jamie. It's like an enormous pitbull. Look at that fucking face. Oh, just designed to bite through yeah. bone. That's what that mouth is for. Oh, and that fucking baboon right there, too. Oh, Yeah, they're creepy as fuck, too. They kill each other left and right, yeah. too. Baboons, are, they kill baboon babies. They kill everything. Yeah, hyenas are the only matriarchal mammal society that we know of. Where the females are actually larger than the males. Really? Yeah, keep the males from eating the babies. Huh. They also have a fake dick. 
They have a faux penis. The female hyena has a faux penis, and she'll get on top of the male and fuck him in the ass with her fake dick. Shut the fuck up. I You're wish I was lying. Up? You're not no. making this up? I wish I was lying. Pull up the video of a uh, female this hyena. Is, this has got to be seen. <laughs> female hyena faux fuck penis. Fuck two girls, one cup. Let's see, <laughs> let's see the hyena get raped. <laughs> Nature's rough as fuck, man. Ugh. There's a lot of uh, infanticide in the, in the animal kingdom. Where I think that's the way the world should be. I think society fucks it all up. It's you think just, that's the way it just, should be, though, for real? The, well, however nature wanted it. I mean, maybe they... This is no, not hy- hyenas doing it. That you're going to see actual sex. I want to see the female, female hy- fake yeah. penis raping the male. Did you Google fake female faux penis? I can't believe yeah. this is real. Yeah, no, it's real, man. Go- Google images instead of... See if there's... Uh... Yeah, see... There's, this is this artificial penis that comes out. It's a she penis. It's an artificial penis that comes out, and the female, which is larger than the male, look, the, above How that is you it can see it. artificial? It's an actual penis. It just I doesn't work. Artificial. I mean, well, it's not really a dick. It's just a hunk of meat. That's it right there. That's a male. Uh, that's a female right there. But like they still squat when they pee out of like mm-hmm. their vagina. Yeah, yeah. They don't pee out of it. They just fuck you with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't, you I know. I can't believe that's that's. What, I'm, yeah, I'm flabbergasted. It says they give birth out of it. No, sixty percent of the cubs the first time mothers die of suffocation inside the pseudo penis. Hmm, that doesn't make sense. Maybe they go down the wrong hole. Hmm, I wonder. I don't know. Fuck hyenas, though. Fuck that world. That whole world is horrible. I don't want a hyena anymore. Nah, you don't want a hyena. This is, they're just so, like, it's like, like people who say they want bears. Like, bear, you know, almost all bears are cannibals. Like, almost all of them. Like, especially males. Male bear, one of the reasons why um, they hunt males, like uh, mature boars, is to make the population healthy. It seems counterintuitive, but male bears will eat way more cubs than any hunter's ever going to kill. Like, male bears, when, they're, when they come out of hibernation, especially in the spring, one of the first things they do is go look for cubs to eat. And this is something that biologists like are just easy, easy yeah, prey, easy prey, and they don't know if they're doing it. They just guess why they're doing it. They don't know if they're doing it just for food or if they're doing it because they want to bring the female to estrus quicker. So mm. it could be both, or it could be the side effect of them doing it for food is the female comes into estrus quicker. But uh, when I was I was bear hunting in Alberta, we got to watch a male try to get this female's cubs. And the female fought the male off. And we're like 30, 40 yards away from this. It was fucking crazy. But were you commentating? Were you? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of was. I bet you were. I kind of was. It was. It, but my mouth was wide Oh, open. the black like, one goes for a mouth. Full mouth on the bear. They were, they were standing up, too. Like, <laughs> like attacking each that other, was a really, that each was, other. That's, that was pretty good. I was there, Is dude. that what it was? I actually saw it. But it's kind of fucked when you see it. Like the guys, while we were in camp, one of the guys witnessed uh, a male kill one of the cubs, and then uh, he ate half of it. And then the female came over and chased him away. Eventually, and then she ate the rest of her own cub. It's hard out there for a pimp. It's hard. <laughs> but you were bear hunting, yeah. And yeah. none of those three looked like a good target, or no. Well, the male you wanted to hike out the mountain. No, first. no, 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 no. The male was a good target, but he wouldn't sit still, and he was too far away, and he was in between trees. And uh, when he came up to the female, the female took. We wouldn't. We wouldn't kill the female, and we definitely wouldn't kill a female with cubs. 
And when the mail came over, like he, it was like it was so. It was also getting dark, where it was totally on that borderline where you're not really sure you could see exactly where you're shooting, especially with a bow and arrow. Oh, it was a bow. Yeah, oh. yeah. We're archery. How many times do you have to shoot a bear with a bow? I shot it once because I shot it right. If you, you shoot it once, you you go through the double lungs. Yeah, you know, with these these bows. The power of these bows is insane. Right. You know, the, a real, like a Hoyt compound bow, 80-pound pull. You're talking like 288 feet per second of 468 green arrows flying with razor-sharp broadheads, right, blows right through the body. I mean, oh, yeah, these are this is in fucking New Jersey, yeah. dude. New Jersey has such a bear population problem. New Jersey has the largest population of bears per capita in North America. Big ass fucking black bears, and they're fighting over who controls the garbage, like the territory where the garbage is. These fucking bears are biting each other in the face in front of people's cars, and they're big. I mean, these are several hundred pounds, these fucking bears. Is if you go earlier than that, you get to see them knock over the garbage cans when they first, yeah, up there, up there, back, back up a little bit. When they first start duking it out. Like one bear is controlling. I mean, this is the guy's fucking front lawn, man. His, his, his mailbox is getting knocked over by these my, bears. My brother lives in uh, Longwood, Florida, and that's like a gated community. It's like a ni- really nice area. And every night there's giant bears knocking over the trash cans in the backyard. Yeah. And uh, I guess the city, like, they won't do anything about it. Well, they didn't want to open up a bear hunting season in Florida, but they're starting to do it. Yeah. In New Jersey, they have a real issue. A fucking kid got killed. A Rutgers student got killed. In New Jersey, yeah, by a I guess bear. one of the somebody in my brother's neighborhood got mauled. Some lady got mauled. Yeah, dude. And then you got these idiots that are like fucking leaving food out for the bears. Oh yeah, it keeps them coming. Yeah, well, that, that's another thing about bears. It's not like a deer. If you leave food out for a deer, it'll eat that food and then go find food other places. You leave food out for a bear, he knows that's where the food is. Yeah. He'll keep coming back. So they have real problems when a bear like this, when a bear gets a hold of your garbage, like these bears, they're they're going to war right here. Because they've found a spot where the garbage is. So look at these fucking guys just duking. These are huge bears, man. Because I keep telling him, like, hey, shoot the fucking bear. Yeah. You know, he's got, like, two giant English mastiffs. I'm like, shoot the bear. Feed him the bear meat. Yeah. You know, this is good. He's like, oh, what if I shoot it? It doesn't fucking die. It doesn't, you know. I'm like, 257? How many shots? One? You just go right through the lungs. Lungs. Kevin, you listening? Joe Rogan's giving me advice here. Double lung. attention. Double Wait till it turns sideways. You get a broadside shot. You shoot right behind the arms, like right where the armpit is, right there, boom, goes right through, especially with a bow and arrow. It'll, you'll penetrate through both lungs, and it'll be dead in seconds. I mean, when you're talking like 10 feet away, you know, 15 feet, it's in the yard. Yeah, they're not scared. They're not he, scared of people at all. Yeah, what he said, if he's afraid of, is what if he, you know, hurts doesn't it. hit it, he hurts it, but doesn't kill it, and thing charges him? That's possible. I'm like, you got five more shots? Right? Yeah. 357? Well, he's going to use a pistol? Yeah. Yeah, I would use a rifle. Rifle. If he's gonna shoot a gun, get a real, you know, get a seven millimeter Remington Ultra Mag, something like that. Just blow one through him where he's not getting yeah. up. Twelve gauge slugs not gonna handle it. You could, yeah, yeah you All could right. go to the slug cup. I'm a fan of rifles. Yeah, like, it's just yeah, it's super I just, I, accurate, I, very I, precise. I just don't want him to miss and shoot the neighbor's house and dog and. That's a good point. You know? Can and he where's he live? Florida? Yeah. Can you use suppressors in Florida? Can you use silencers? I don't know. There's a problem in California. You can't use silencers, which is really Does stupid. that work? I saw on the, 
in a Steven Seagal movie. He like taped a 20 ounce <laughs> bottle to the end of it. You see that movie? <laughs> this thing is like under siege. Would well, that work? Everything in Steven Seagal movies are well, actual and factual. Right. That's the only thing he allows. He doesn't right. allow anything in a movie unless it's absolutely correct. Really? I'm sure it doesn't work. I'm serious. A twenty, a two-liter <laughs> bottle of Coke or something. Yeah, I mean, it sure doesn't silence it, but it might like it probably takes a little bit take off a of it. A little bit off of it. It's kind of weird. I was talking to this guy from Sig Sauer yesterday about this. Yeah, tried it. Oh, they tried it. Let's hear it. See, like you thought I made that up, didn't you? <laughs> See. <laughs> Steven Seagal, silence 45. That's going to shoot this dude right in the face. Yeah. You know he's going <laughs> to die here. <laughs> hey, if this doesn't work, I'm sending it to Jack. Is he going to shoot it at the bottom, at the ground, this dummy? No. Okay, here he goes. No. Yeah, it wasn't very quiet. Didn't work at all. Mm. How to make a suppressor from a flashlight? Uh-oh. Is that real? That's probably going forever. Oh, let's see. Let's see how it works. Well, just pull it ahead. Oh, this guy's like going deep. Yeah. He's building shit. <clears throat> but it's weird because in California, silencers are illegal. I don't know why. Because if you can hunt and you can hunt with a rifle, what a silencer does is it eliminates the sound. It, I mean, it doesn't eliminate it totally, but that big boom. It's, it, do you want the boom? Like, why? Right. It doesn't make any sense. It's right. like it's one of those weird things where people aren't they're not thinking logically and objectively when they create laws. Mm. Like they think that someone's gonna like snipe people and you're not gonna hear it and someone's gonna die and get shot. But the reality is if somebody shoots you, like it does it doesn't matter if there was a bang or not. Yeah. It, it's the rifle still works. Yeah. You have to have a silencer on your muffler. You have to have a silencer on lawn equipment, mm-hmm. lawn mowers, anything. You have to use some sort of a muffler, but not on rifles. You can't have it on rifles. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get most of it. You shouldn't get most of it. Most of it doesn't make sense. I don't get not a, not a huge fan of the police force nowadays, Joe. It's getting ugly out there, it's isn't just, it? It's so bad. It's so just just bad. You know, I think part of it is, um, I think it's just numbers. You're, you're also dealing with 350 million people in this country. Who knows how many thousands and thousands of police officers? Who knows how many incidents they have to deal with? Mm-hmm. Who knows how many people are incompetent? And the ones that are incompetent, they get highlighted, mm-hmm. videotaped, put out there. And I also think that there's a, a culture that they have uh, developed uh, of doing shit in a fucked up way that people don't like that they got away with for a long time mm-hmm. and then cell phones and cameras and YouTube came along and now everybody's super aware of it and you just can't do it anymore you just can't do what they've been doing their whole career yeah I think I mean there obviously there are racial issues or whatever but I just think that those get highlighted even more but I see just fucking asshole cops doing asshole things to every color person you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's just that lately it's been highlighted but it's like, if no one's fucking shooting at you, stop shooting people. You know, when, yeah. did, when did they become such pussies that like, you know, there was a video of a guy walking out of his house with a screwdriver and like he was literally walking, he was like with his wife, he was like a 50 year old man and he's walking out with like a screwdriver in his hand like this, like he was walking to the mailbox to fix something and the cops like shot him like nine times. What? Yeah. And then didn't, uh, didn't like try to help him or anything. They like. You know, what were they responding to? Like, what did they think he was I think doing? It was, I think it was domestic violence or something. I don't even know what it was, but it was like the the older woman get walks out, and then the husband walks out right behind him, and 
they were he was like oh get, drop it blah 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 and the guy's like what and then and they shot him like nine times mm. and then they don't even go up to like help the guy you know it's like i find almost like these guys are just looking for that opportunity for when it's okay than more mm-hmm. so like when it's necessary you know? there's a lot of them that just, definitely do that there's yeah. a lot of them that are just too stupid to be cops for yeah. sure it's but just, i think most people are unqualified to be cops we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast and i just think that we have to appreciate the fact that being a cop is a fucking ridiculously hard job. You want to talk about PTSD for soldiers, but nobody talks about PTSD for cops. Mm. Cops are dealing with horrible shit every fucking day of the week, and mm. most of them are doing a great job, and the ones that do a great job you don't hear anything about. It's the ones that fuck up and shoot like that guy in South Carolina that shot that guy as he was running away. And then planted the gun on him. Did he or plant the, a gun? Planted on him? the taser or something that like you watch him. He walks up and like sets something else on the floor. And oh really? Then the story was, oh he, he really? went for my taser and it was like, didn't go oh, for your taser, my motherfucker. God, they did that. But of course, that gets spun into the black oh, guy. God. You know, well if that was a fucking, it didn't matter who that was. He was going to do that same shit too. You know, yeah, but a guy goes for your taser is, and then runs away. You don't get to shoot him. Yeah, you don't get to shoot him as he's running away, and then I don't get to shoot him while he's walking away, and then run up and put the taser down next to him. I didn't you know? even know that. That's awful. Yeah. I didn't know that he did that. Oh god! I, I, I just, just I think there there are good cops, you know. But it's like if you're a good cop, how many bad cops have you narked out? Because you know, you know how many other ones are in the station. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there, there's just this, uh, you know, this like brotherhood of you know i'm gonna stand up for our own and mm-hmm. you know that that's what bugs me about it it's always been that way yeah it's my just, dad was just a cop. really upsetting and disgusting and to have kids and to have see all this shit right now it's just really scary just, and worry about your son getting yeah, involved in something yeah. having some asshole cop do something yeah i mean yeah. mike my, my uh my my wife my fiance <laughs> sorry babe uh <laughs> she had sounded really bad um She's uh she's mixed and like our we have two boys and one of them looks white and the other one looks you know mixed and and black you know and uh, yeah this racial shit and ignorance is uh it's upsetting it's scary it should know? be yeah it is and I'm hoping that all this anger and all these protests and all these videos that are coming out and all this this these YouTube videos and all these people that are rising up that's going to change things I hope yeah. But, it just seems like martial law is coming. Like the, there was something about, you know, it's like they're the. Somebody uh, said something about they're allowing the the conditions to eventually go to martial law. law. Yeah, people and say the, the way that like the that, news media is like highlighting everything. It just makes it so much worse. Ah, it's just all bad. I think they're highlighting it because that's what people want to pay attention to. Yeah. I, I really don't think there's any concerted effort to create martial law. There's a mm. lot of conspiracy theories about that stuff, but I think that's just horseshit. Mm. I think uh, they, the last thing they want is an armed culture of Americans involved in arm in in martial law. It's just like. It's it's not going to work. This is not the country we could pull that off. Yeah. It's not you can't take everybody's guns away. It will fucking never happen. Yeah. There's more guns in this country than there are people. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. You just you're not going to take away the I don't know if there's more guns than people, but I bet it's close. You just it's not going to happen. I, I just so. think that people panic about that kind of stuff and people always love talking about some tyrannical conspiracy yeah. where the government comes in and even when you try not to, it's like someone says something and you it's hard not to. Did you grow up in a family with guns? You had f- yeah. guns in your family all the time? Uh, I grew up hunting. At, we started hunting and shooting at like 10, 12. Yeah. I think when I went 
rabbit hunting when I was 12. I was shooting since I was like... Your, your dad was into yeah, it? Yeah, my dad was into it. My brother and I. We didn't talk about this the last time, and this was something that was controversial after our uh, podcast, because during the Manhoof training camp, your dad died. Right. How hard was that, man, to go uh, through? My dad and I had like a weird relationship. My dad and I had like a falling out probably uh, 10 or 12 years ago. I hadn't spoken... 10 years and uh, uh, he came to one of my fights uh, when I've won uh, Glory 10 with Artem Levin and uh, that was one of the biggest things that Vinny helped me work on I found out my dad had cancer and like my reaction when my brother and sister told me it was like fuck him like I don't care like I wow. didn't, really didn't care I hated him that much that uh, wow that uh, I was just like hated him like we had like really bad issues and uh, uh, when I started talking to Vinny you know, I mentioned, yeah, my dad had cancer, and I didn't know how I felt about it because part of me, like, cared, you know, at some point. And uh, Vinny uh, did some, like, uh, he called it timeline therapy, and we had a, uh, this is not at all what I was planning on talking about, but um, we, uh, he asked me all of these scenarios, like, think of a time in your life when you were really proud, and then think of a time when you were really upset, and, like, all these different emotions. And he didn't know what he was, what it was about or what was going to happen. He was just trying it on me. And every one of the things that he talked about was my dad. Like, every one of those times was a time with my dad. And uh, he did, like, the, you know, the whole session or whatever. And at the end of it, I just had no more resentment or anger toward my dad. And it was Whoa. really weird. And uh, it was, like, this chip on my shoulder, like, my whole life. And uh, at one point, for a long time... Uh, I used to think about my dad before I would fight when I was fighting professionally. Like I would use, not necessarily like I'm fighting my dad, but like to shove it up his ass. Like, look what I, I'm going to do, you know? And, uh, I realized that like that anger that I had and that I used to tap into all the time was actually like holding me back. And it was almost like a handicap. And, uh, yeah, when I, when he helped me, uh, forgive my dad, I was able to, uh, go to Florida. This is, you know, he's got stage four cancer. He's going to die. And, uh, I had a relationship with my dad for the last year before he died that I hadn't had in 10 years. And that was from that Vinny helped me do that. Yeah. That's gotta have a, a big impact on the way you raise your own sons. Yeah, for sure. Like knowing the resentment that you had towards your father and the anger and mm -hmm. the, the bad relationship. Like never wanting it to get to that place. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, uh, and Vinny didn't know that he was that that was even going to be the result. He he was just like, oh, I want to try this timeline therapy thing on you. And uh, yeah, I went from like completely hating him to like just forgiving him completely. Not like half-ass forgiving him to like waiting for that apology. Like there was no apology. There was no talking about it. It was like completely starting over. And uh, yeah, we had like a really good. A relationship for that last year before he died and um i knew that he was he was battling cancer my brother started treating him he was stage four i mean it was the doctors like you know your dad's gonna die he had cancer in his lungs cancer in his brain cancer in his chest and cancer in his neck he had like this giant mass on his neck and uh my brother started treating him with cbd oil and uh Allegedly, I was shipping it to him from here and to Florida or whatever. But that's probably wasn't very good. It, allegedly, allegedly, if there was fiction for fictional fiction, purposes. Fiction for fictional purposes. Um, and we uh, were giving him CBD oil for about I don't know, I guess seven months probably. <clears throat> and uh, after um, he wasn't going to chemo, he just didn't want to do it. He was like really stubborn, um, stubborn guy. He wouldn't do that. And uh, they. Uh, 
they tested him. They did like a, a graph or whatever to see where the cancer, if it had grown or whatever, over a period of time. And they were shocked that 90% of the cancer had died, that there was 90% of the cancer was dead and 10% of the cancer that was still alive was like completely surrounded in dead cells so that they couldn't get even medicine to it and it couldn't grow and it, you know, it was just gonna, he was gonna have to live with it, you know, but it was completely surrounded by dead cancer cells. And the only thing possibly that could have done it was the CBD oil because he was doing nothing else correctly. He was like, uh, you know, they had him on so many narcotics and pain pills and stuff that he was, he's a f asshole to be around. It was really hard. It was like constantly on like this drug thing. Um, and he wouldn't eat. He only wanted to eat. was like chocolate cake and ice cream, you know, like wouldn't, it was like really was hard bad for yeah. cancer. We're feeds like, it. we're like, uh, you know, trying to get him the right supplements and, and, you know, it was a, it was a tough situation, but the, uh, the CBD oil was, was beating the cancer and the cancer wasn't what killed him. He actually died from like starvation or malnourishment from not doing, what we would beg him to do, you know? Really? Well, wow. yeah, 90% of the cancer was dead. CBD oil, people, it really works. It's working right now for my friend's mom. My yeah. friend's mom has stage four cancer in her brain. Uh, I allegedly got him some CBD oil. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he um, got it to his mom uh, within less than two months. Her cancer had shrunk by 30%. Yep. She had been doing chemo and they were saying that her immune system was so devastated by the chemo that the chemo was probably going to kill her yep. quicker than the cancer was and they had recommended her stopping chemo and he was just in full desperation mode my friend's real super straight edge he just he's just you know mr republican american doesn't mm -hmm. you know thinks obama's a muslim that kind of guy yeah and never would want to have anything to do with uh, cbd oil or anything cannabis i i got it to him and now his mom can sleep. She's eating. She sleeps at night. She doesn't have pain anymore. Her tumor's shrinking. The doctors are astounded. Yep. Those stories, you hear so many of them, it's almost like they seem like anecdotal fairy tales mm -hmm. because until it's it happens to someone you actually know and care about, and then you go, and then you start getting angry. Yeah. Like, this is what these goddamn assholes that are making laws in this country and fighting against us, the lobbyists and the people that are working for the pharmaceutical companies that are actively trying to suppress this information. You are keeping one of the best ways to to heal these people. You're keeping it illegal. And mm -hmm. it's it's a fucking horrible crime. And they won't even tell you about it, which is just atrocious. Like my dad is, they're giving my brother the talk that my dad is is going to die and it's it's terminal and, you know, all this stuff. For... You know, weeks and weeks and weeks, he's going to the doctor, and finally my brother's like, hey, so, you know, what about, you know, medical marijuana? Is that something that... And they were like, oh, yeah, we can prescribe him Marinol, but we just can't... You know, there's no question that the cannabis, or, or THC, whatever it is, uh, cannabis helps uh, fight cancer, but we can't... We can't refer... You have to ask. We can't just offer it to you. And then they gave him the, the uh, prescription for Marinol, which is like the government pharmaceutical form of the pill which was probably way weaker than the way CBD weaker. oil than we were giving him yeah not not but, uh, nearly as good so yeah like way. we got the call i got the call from my dad or my brother that my dad had passed away um i think it was three weeks before the uh the melvin manoff fight wow. and i flew home to um to florida to you know kind of with my brother and sister and figure out the situation what we were going to do and my brother picked me up from the airport and we went to you know straight to the bar to, uh, you know, have it out about my dad. And, um, when we got back to his house, my uncle was, had called and, you know, we just assumed that my uncle was calling to, you know, give us his, you know, sorry to, sorry about your dad. And 
we, my sister answers the phone and my uncle is hysterical. And uh, I guess my cousin Cody, who was 23, was very close with this huge fan of mine, um, had fallen off a balcony on their vacation and died the same night. And uh, so it was it was a ton of stuff to deal with that last you know two weeks before my fight. And um, again, I talked to Vinny, and uh, you know he helped me stay focused on what I needed to do to to handle business in that fight. And uh, you know, Vinny Shorman can't thank him enough for that stuff. That's got to be unbelievably difficult to deal. Both of those things, unbelievably difficult to deal with while you're trying to focus on, especially fighting a guy like Manhoff. Yeah, who's a and scary then, fuck. You know, every every post anybody tags me in is like Moe Manhoff's highlight reel. You know, so <laughs> it's like fuck. <laughs> you know, it, was, it, was, it was tough. You know, and Wait. it just drains you. Having you know, I tried. To, I come back and I got two weeks left for the fight, and I'm trying to you know trying to stay focused. And uh, you know, I can run at a, at a good clip, and you know, I run six miles you know, regularly. And like, I'd be like half a mile in and just be exhausted because all of this mental stuff just wears on you. And, uh, you know, I had this internal battle with myself, you know, should I pull out of the fight? Should I not pull out of the fight? And I talked to Vinny and I was like, you know, I, I just, I don't know what to do. And, uh, he was like, he was just a dick. <laughs> Actually. He was like, uh, he was like, your, your dad and your cousin died. And I was like, yes. And he's like, and, and that, that's sad. And I'm like, yes. And he's like, and, uh, you're never going to see them again. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm never going to see him again. He's like, and, and that's not fair. And I was like, right. <laughs> yeah, motherfucker, it's not fair. You know? <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, he says all this shit. And then he's like, now what? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, what are you going to do now? And I was like, he's like, are you going to not ever fight again? Are you going to not take care of your family? Are you going to you know, let this stop you from everything you've ever wanted to do? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, then turn off that app and wait until after your fight. Handle your business. You know, whether you're religious or not, at some level somewhere, you think your your cousin and your father, what would they want? And it's like, well, I talked to both of them about the fight. They were both excited about the fight. I knew what they were going to want. So I just kind of turned off that emotion until after the fight. And when I knocked out Melvin, there's like this, <laughs> there's this moment right after like the referee stops it, I like fucking explode. And there's like a Bellator post the picture all the time. But, like, at that moment was, like, all of that emotion that I had turned off, like, came back right at that moment. And, uh, you know, after the fight, I was like, thinking about them and stuff, and it was really cool. Wow. Wow. That's intense. Wow. But there's, there's like, that, That's an iconic photo, too, yeah. that, the photo of you right after you knocked him out. Uh -huh. That's a pretty intense photo. Yeah. That was a crazy fight, too, man. It was a, it was a big one. Was a big one for Melvin me. is a wild motherfucker, dude. Yeah. Win, lose, draw. That fucking you're you're in for some chaos with that guy. Mm -hmm. Isn't it crazy? Those all those guys from that Mike's gym, Badrhari, him, Kokon. There's so many of those guys are just fucking ferocious. Yeah, that's their that style out of that gym. I mean, those, that's why we're all there. It is right there. Fun. Yeah, that was that moment right there. Well, we're running out of time, man. So let's end it with that. That's a fucking perfect picture to wrap this podcast up with. That's that's intense. With Melvin down behind you, you need that. You got that on your gym? Yeah. Is that up on the wall? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got. I got to put it up on the wall. <laughs> that should that. fucking for sure be up at the yard. Yeah. The yard in uh, downtown LA. Yeah. Uh, best right. place to train some Muay Thai in California if you're around, and uh, if you're in San Diego, Glory Twenty One is this Friday night tomorrow. Uh, and next time you will be fighting is June... June 26th for Bellator. And where is that at? Uh, I believe it's in Kansas City. Kansas City. All right, man. Uh, you can catch him. Change your Twitter name. Joe Schilling187. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Better than three, right? Was yeah. it two or three? Yeah. 
Joe Joe Schilling one eight seven on Twitter. Thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah, you coming course, by, man. Always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Of course. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be back next week. We got a, a full schedule of podcasts. Uh, thanks, everybody. Much love. See you soon. Thank you, my friends. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and thank you, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Nature. Oh, no, not Nature Box. Not this week. Uh, Blue Apron. Not this. Well, Nature Box was earlier this week, but Nature Box is awesome. If you want to go check it out, but Blue Apron. Thank you to Blue Apron. Uh, Blue Apron, get two meals for free. Two fantastic, nutritionally balanced, and delicious meals for free by going to blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. Try it out. You will love it. I love it. I'm a huge fan of Blue Apron. Uh, I cook with it all the time and uh, very enjoyable and very delicious. So blueapron.com forward slash Rogan. Go there, give it a shot, and get your two meals for free. Thanks also to DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is giving away hundreds of millions of dollars this season. And you can enter and play for free. Use the promo code Rogan and you can win a part of the $300 million in prizes being awarded this season alone. Use the promo code Rogan for free entry right now at DraftKings.com. Thanks also to OnIt.com. O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right, my friends. Much love. Um, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Thanks for, for all of the, the, the positive comments and all the love on Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, I appreciate the fuck out of you people. I appreciate this podcast and the listeners of this podcast more than I could ever uh, express. It's just a, one of the, the biggest, most important things uh, that I've ever uh, ventured into in my life. And uh, I recognize very much the connection that I have with you guys. I just, oh, I always want to emphasize that. So uh, not taking anything for granted. Love you guys and talk soon. Take care.